When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Oh, no, I get by with a little help from my friends. Let's kick off even by lighting up, boy. From my friends, the star of the show, boy, boy. I spoke to a radio broadcaster famous here in New York, WABC, Sid Rosenberg. Boy, this boy. is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help. We begin with new developments on former President Trump's mounting legal troubles. His team is paying legal fees with cash from political donations totaling $40 million. One super PAC has already shelled out that money in the first half of this year to defend the former president and others. But Trump remains defiant on the campaign trail, blasting the charges against him and denying any wrongdoing. But his rivals are pouncing. The campaign for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says the president has spent his money on legal fees and attacking his fellow Republicans and not on defeating Joe Biden. You know, I don't know if this is a coincidence or this is another example of the weaponization of the Department of Justice, but I can tell you this, the lengths to which the Biden legal team has gone to try to intimidate our witnesses, to coordinate with the Department of Justice, and to certainly coordinate with the Democrats on the House Oversight Committee to encourage people not to cooperate with our investigation to encourage banks not to turn over bank records, to encourage Treasury not to let us have access to those suspicious activity reports. It's very troubling, and I believe that uh, you know, this is uh, another violation of the law. This is obstruction of justice. Mayor's office calls it a heartbreaking reality. Asylum seekers are sleeping on buses and on the sidewalk outside the Roosevelt Hotel, the city's central intake facility. The Adams administration says it's a scene New Yorkers may see more and more. The scene on the street emphasizing the mayor's message. Compassion is limitless, but resources are not. Oh, this is a national response. We need national help. Critics say the city is provoking a crisis to get Washington's attention. They think that by creating this fabricated chaos, they're going to get funds coming down the pipeline faster. The asylum crisis spilling onto the sidewalks of Midtown East. The word of the weekend there has been repurposing in New York. That's what they're saying they're doing with some of these moves that they're making with the Mets. They moved to David Robertson on Thursday. The Max Scherzer trade from the Mets to the Rangers. What are the chances there's going to be movement with Justin Verlander before the deadline? I would characterize it at this point as a possibility, as an option. Things aren't going to line up quite as nice and tidy as they did with Scherzer. And yet at the same time, there is such little pitching out on the market, and especially at the top end, but you could still move by the time it's all said and done. A company always on the run A destiny Oh, it's the rising sun I was born 
Saturday morning, and we're somewhere around the George Washington Bridge, and it's me, my beautiful wife, Danielle, my son, Gabriel. Ava was already upstate. She had taken the Greyhound bus on Friday, and we came up on Saturday morning, and uh, Gabriel is playing DJ in the car. It's a long trip, and he puts his song on, and me and him and my wife, we just start head-bobbing like Night at the Roxbury. Remember that uh, silly movie, those two guys from SNL? I love that movie. This song just does something to us. I can't begin to tell you. It does something to everybody. The remake. Bernie used to love this remake, too. Five Finger Death Punch. That's the name of the band. Five Finger Death Punch. Bad company. In fact, Justin, give me some of this on a Monday morning. Come on. Get them all pumped up on a Monday morning. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on. A lot in that uh, open this morning put together by Justin. I guess the big story today is that Hunter Biden's ex-business partner, Devin Archer, is set to testify on Capitol Hill today. And, of course, the yelling and screaming going on is that Republicans are contending that the crooked DOJ, and they are crooked, the crooked DOJ sent a letter trying to put Devin Archer in prison before he was to testify today. So you heard a bunch of stories in that open from the Adams migrants to Donald Trump's legal funds piling up to Ron DeSantis finally getting tough. Little pussy boy Ron DeSantis finally getting tough with Donald Trump to a busy sports weekend where the Mets dealt away one of their two big-time starters. But you did hear from Jim Comer, and he talked about the DOJ looking to put Devin Archer in jail, but more importantly, really, the Biden crime family investigation, where the Biden legal team is trying to intimidate all the oversight committee witnesses, all kinds of stuff going on to make sure that the truth does not come out when it comes to Joe Hunter Biden, specifically Joe Biden. So it was nestled away nicely in the open put together by Justin Ellick. But if you missed it, again, with Devin Archer, former Hunter Biden business associate, set to testify on Capitol Hill today. Here is James Comer talking about the Biden family trying to do everything they can to make sure like people like Devin Archer don't testify. Justin James Comer, cut number 12. 
You know, I don't know if this is a coincidence or if this is another example of the weaponization of the Department of Justice, but I can tell you this. The lengths to which the Biden legal team has gone to try to intimidate our witnesses to coordinate with the Department of Justice and to certainly coordinate with the Democrats on the House Oversight Committee to encourage people not to cooperate with our investigation, to encourage banks not to turn over bank records, to encourage Treasury not to let us have access to those suspicious activity reports. It's very troubling, and I believe that uh, you know this is uh, another violation of the law. This is obstruction of justice. Here you have it, James Comer, violation of the law and obstruction of justice. So we'll get to all these big stories. But as I mentioned, Saturday morning, driving upstate, me, Danielle, and Gabe, and really the trip was all about going to see my mom. I know you folks out there love my mother, Naomi, and the amount of messages I get when I told you guys a couple of weeks ago she was suffering from vertigo. She still is. She's a lot better yesterday, for example, when we left she was a lot better than when we arrived. She was in bed at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. My mother is not like that. She is not like that. So she was in bed. I said, oh, boy, Naomi, let's go. So today she goes back to therapy. We went to see uh, my mom, and it was a lovely weekend up there at White Lake Homes and Kanyanga Lake. And I like to go through all the fun stuff my family does. So, for example, there's a place called the Bethel Cafe, which is uh, owned by Tara and her daughter, Courtney, and it's about two miles away from my house in upstate New York. And the town of Bethel, if you don't know, I've said this a million times, that was the original Woodstock was. You remember years and years ago, they held the 25th anniversary for Woodstock in Woodstock, New York. The problem is Woodstock, New York, is miles and miles away from where Jimi Hendrix actually sang. Bethel is the original site of Woodstock, and that's why Bethel Woods has become a huge tourist attraction upstate, exactly one mile from my mother's house. They've got a beautiful museum, a gorgeous amphitheater, watching shows under the skies, under the stars, I should say. For example, this weekend, Willie Nelson was there. I'm not a big Willie Nelson fan. Sorry, I miss, I'm not, but... He's still sold out, but they've got great shows all summer long. So Bethel Cafe is this great little, you know, little snooky restaurant there. And uh, they make great breakfasts and great lunches. And Tara is a great baker. She has some of the best cookies and cakes. And that's where we started our weekend. We did end up going to a good buddy of mine, Benji. He owns Benji and Jake's which is a very popular restaurant in Kanyanga Lake. Even the the average one, I call him. Some of you call him the great one. I refer to Mark Levin now as the average one, him and his 2.8 rating. He, uh, he loves Benji and Jake, so do I. My dear friend Benji and his lovely wife and his son, Shy. So we had dinner there on Saturday, Danielle, myself, Ava, and Gabe, and uh, we did not go to the concert. Yesterday morning, my buddy Jeff Richmond, listening right now, Mr. Jet Man, Vietnam vet, hero. They call him Pickles, and he gets me and my wife into the gym, which is a really nice gym, Next Level Fitness in Monticello. And we start the day Sunday mornings by going to Dunkin' Donuts and then going to the Monticello Bagel Bakery. And then we went back to Bethel Cafe afterwards for lunch, and we saw one of the all-time greats, Justin, a legend in upstate New York, he was living in Texas, and he decided to make the trip to Woodstock. He never left. He's become a local legend up there. His name is Duke Devlin. 
saw him yesterday. What a name. What a name, Duke Devlin, Amadillo, <laughs> Texas. And then basically we spent the whole weekend at my sister Elizabeth's house. All three of my sisters, Alana and Harry, Ray Sherry and Albert, and Lizzie and Michael, all have houses up there with my mom. But Lizzie and Michael have a brand-new, gorgeous house. They live in Parkland, Florida, but they bought this beautiful house upstate. I mean, gorgeous so there are pictures of me this weekend on the Wave Runner with yeah, my brother-in-law, that. Michael. That's a great shot. That was right? a great shot. Great shot. He didn't let you drive it yourself? No, no, no. He yeah. drove it. He <laughs> drove it. Back. Yeah. We did the pontoon boat. He made uh, a couple of really nice barbecues. So all in all, it was a spectacular weekend. All my nephews and nieces and, like I said, my mother, my three sisters, my three brother-in-laws. And then at the very end, and we do this every time, we say goodbye to mom. We say goodbye to my sisters. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. And then the last thing we always do is stop by the cemetery so I can see my dad. And that's brutal. You know what was really sad yesterday? Was I always go to the cemetery, and there's never a dry eye, of course. I talk to my father, and I miss him. I love him. But my son, Gabriel, was a mess. We got back in the car. It was like a three-and-a-half-hour trip back to the city. We couldn't even take Route 17. You had to go through these beautiful towns like Monroe and Goshen and Florida and Chester and Tuxedo. And uh wanted to go. And my son Gabriel was still standing by the grave. And he was breaking down. And I said, Gaby, Poppy loved you. He loved you a lot. And he was crying, gave me a big hug, and said, Dad, I love you. It was a really touching moment for me and my son for my dad, and that's how the trip ended. We got home, had a great dinner at Harbor Lights, and bang, zoom, before you know it, it's 3.30 in the morning, time to go to work. Happens quick, doesn't it? Oh, my God, it happened so quick. That's so a great quick. weekend, though. It was a great weekend. Jam-packed. Jam-packed, yes. From the time we arrived in Kanyanga Lake, which was about 10.30 Saturday morning, to the time we left... About 3.30 yesterday afternoon, it was, as you said, jam-packed. So uh, we'll go back again in a couple of weeks, but a, uh, a great job by my family and a fun time for the Rosenbergs. Donald Trump had a busy weekend as well. My man, DJT, he was in Erie, Pennsylvania, had a big rally on Saturday night. But I was at Benji and Jake's, and the mountains were watching Willie Nelson. Donald Trump was at a rally in Erie, Pennsylvania. When he talked about the indictments, so they waited almost three years so they could bring it on during his big-time election. So this is my guy, DJT, Donald Trump, 45th President of the United States, soon to be, despite his legal issues, the 47th President of the United States in Erie, Pennsylvania. Cut number one, Donald Trump. So why didn't he corrupt... Marxist prosecutors bring these radical and unjustified charges against me two and a half years ago. They had two and a half years. Two and a half years. Nobody even knew they were looking at it. I don't, I don't think they were. But they waited two and a half, almost three years, so that they could bring them right in the middle of my presidential election because it's election interference. And he goes on to talk about how he will appoint a real special prosecutor when he wins to expose the Bidens, Donald Trump, Justin, cut number two. When we win the election, 
A little more than a year from now, I will appoint a real special prosecutor to expose the monumental corruption of the Biden crime family once and for all. Goes on to say, without free speech, you've got nothing, Justin Ellick. This is Donald Trump. Cut number three. If you can't challenge a rigged election, then you don't have free speech. And if you don't have free speech, you don't have a democracy anymore. You have tyranny. You have tyranny. And he says, listen, you should be allowed to question a rigged election, but you're not. Donald Trump, Justin, cut number four. But now the Biden administration is trying to make it illegal to even question the results or the outcome of an election. If you question the rigged election, you're a conspiracy theorist. They don't want to talk about it because they cheated like nobody's ever cheated. But only a party that cheats in elections would try to make it illegal to question them. They don't want them questioned. Finally, he says, if you're a Republican and you're not for impeaching Biden, you're basically the enemy. Love him. Donald Trump, cut number six. The biggest complaint that I get is that the Republicans find out this information and then they do nothing about it. They don't do anything about it. Right? Kelly knows, he knows. They do. And it all dies, you know, they die. (laughs) The radical lunatic Democrats, they impeach me, they indict me, they rig our elections. And the Republicans just don't fight the way they're good people, but they don't fight the way they're supposed to fight. The others are dirty, sick players, and the Republicans are very high class. They've got to be a little bit lower class, I suspect. They sit back and they say, they have other priorities. We have to look at other things. Any Republican that doesn't act on Democrat fraud should be immediately primaried. And get out. out. Could not agree more. That sets us up for a big Monday morning show. Great guests all morning long. We'll start with Victim Rights New York, Jennifer Harrison, and Democrat out of Queens, Councilman Bob Holden. Jumani Williams is talking again. That's never good news. 705, Curtis Sliwa. He's great every weekday morning. Coming up at 740, the editor of the National Review, our dear Monday morning friend, Rich Lowry. Coming up at 810, the daughter-in-law of the aforementioned Donald Trump, Lara Trump. Coming up at 840, Constitutional Attorney Alan Dershowitz. How about this special guest coming up at 9.10 this morning? You know him as both Silvio Dante from The Sopranos and Little Steven from Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band. Monster superstar Steven Van Zant will join us. And finally, coming up at 9.25 from The New York Post, Michael Goodwin. All this before the Rosenberg family will head to New Jersey. After the show today, to check out the New York football giants at training camp as the Giants now are just 12 days away from their first preseason football game against the Lions. The Jets, they start their preseason this Thursday night in Canton, Ohio. Aaron Rodgers and the Jets taking on the Cleveland Browns. The number is always 1-800-848-WABC, 1-800-848-9222. Great guests, great conversation. Strap in, folks. Monday morning with me, Sid Rosenberg, exclusively right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now these towns will be on
If you've had an accident, trust Gabo Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabo Law has recovered millions for their clients and will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read all of their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avo, and Facebook. Call Gabo Law today at 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email at info at gabolaw.com. Gabo Law, where winning is no accident. The digital dollar could give the feds control of your money. Get the digital dollar report. Call 1-800-862-6970 and also receive a $1,000 credit from Priority Gold to protect your money. Or just go to digitaldollarreport.com. Please note, the information provided does not constitute financial or investment advice. 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Popular female <clears throat> Irish band, all very pretty. Good band with Bono from U2. When the stars go blue at 6.30 on your Monday morning, ratings uh, came back another week on Friday. AQH, quarterly, hour, 12 plus, 6.6. 6.6. Hey, now. So when they call me the king of New York. They mean it. That's <laughs> true. The stats uh, go out there and prove it. Do want to send a couple more shout-outs out there. Susan Brown Otto listening right now up in Bethel, New York. Nice uh, to hear from you, Susan. And Mr. Peerless Boilers himself, Pete Morgan, who is also going to be at Giants training camp later on this morning. So Danielle and I and our kids will see Pete and Maureen out in New Jersey later on this morning. Talking about the Giants, they do have this uh, wide receiver. And his name is Sterling Shepard. And every time Sterling Shepard plays, he plays well. The problem is he's always hurt. I mean, always hurt. But he's one of about seven or eight guys vying for a couple of spots at wide receiver for the football giants. And so far, very early on, no exhibition games, 
still uh, way out from the regular season. Giants open up Sunday night, September the 10th, at home against the Dallas Cowboys. So far, he feels great, but everybody feels great in July. I mean, August starts tomorrow. But uh, nevertheless, here he is, giant wide receiver Sterling Shepard. How good he he feels so far in camp this year, Justin. This is Shepard, cut number 23. It's great, man, just to be back out there with the guys and actually going against somebody. I mean, I've been sitting over there for months running routes by myself and uh, just trying to visualize somebody there. So to actually have somebody there, it honestly was 10 times better. I wasn't even thinking about, you know, my planting or anything like that. Like, I, I felt great. So it was good to be back out there with the guys. One more giant player. They've got this stud on defense, and his name is Kayvon Thibodeau. was a rookie last year and showed signs, a lot of signs, of being a really terrific defensive player for the Giants for many years to come. And he was talking about how year two feels a lot different than the rookie campaign he enjoyed in camp last year. This is Kayvon Thibodeau, Justin, cut number 22. Man, year two, I mean, it's amazing. Um, feel great and healthy. It definitely feels a little bit different. You know, now I'm working on different things, just really understanding the game and kind of getting those gears going. What did uh, Aaron Rodgers, the Jets quarterback, get upset about with now Denver Bronco? Head coach Sean Payton, what was that all about, Justin? Uh, I think Payton, I don't know much about it, but Payton said something about Nathaniel Hackett, I believe. Well, Nathaniel Hackett is now the Jets offensive coordinator, but he did work in Denver, uh, Green Bay. He was in Green Bay, too, with Aaron Rodgers. So let me go to Kevin Bunk. He seems to know. Kevin doing a great job this week. Lou Rapino on vacation. Justin running the board. Kevin Bunk sitting in Justin's seat. What What is the whole issue between Aaron Rodgers and Sean Payton? So basically, Peyton was defending his players, it sounded like, and while doing it, said that Hackett was the, put on the worst coached season in <laughs> NFL history with Denver in a way to defend his guys, and then that got Jets players pretty fired up. So that was last year? Yeah. Because he was in Denver last year, and the great Seattle Seahawks quarterback, Russell Wilson, had his first season in Denver last year, and it was abysmal. So you're telling me that the new head coach, Sean Payton, who won a Super Bowl with the Saints, is saying part of the issue was Nathaniel Hackett's coaching. Not even part of the issue. He basically said it was the entire issue. (laughs) All right, he's now the OC for the Jets. Here's Jet quarterback Aaron Rodgers protecting a guy he worked with in Green Bay and now works with again in New York. Cut number 21. It made me feel bad that someone who's accomplished a lot in the league is that insecure that they have to take another man down to set themselves up for some sort of easy fall if it doesn't go well for that team this year. I thought it was way out of line and appropriate, and I think he needs to keep uh, my coach's names out of his mouth. Oh, he pulled the Will Smith. That was crazy. Keep my coach's name out of your mouth. That's nuts. Wow, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. You got to like the loyalty, no? That, that's kind of like his first spicy comment. As yes, a Jet. yes. There you go. And again, uh, for the sake of repetition, the Jets... Now just three days away from the Aaron Rodgers officially beginning with their first preseason game in Canton, Ohio, taking on the Cleveland Browns. Okay, coming up next, we're going to talk to victim rights New York Jennifer Harrison and a Democrat out of Queens who I really like, and I don't like Democrats. In fact, let me say this as nice as I can. I hate Democrats, despise them, find them for the most part to be the worst people God ever created. 
but Bob Holden is different. We're going to talk to Jen Harrison and Bob Holden about some comments. The public advocate, Jumani Williams, and I don't care that he's got Tourette's. I'm sorry about that. And I don't care that he's black. I don't care. He's a douchebag. He is a dangerous douchebag, Jamani Williams. So Holden and Harrison had a little back and forth with Jamani. We'll get to that coming up next. But it is time now before Joe Nolan for the 77 WABC minicast clip of the day. Everything you need to know in under 10 New York minutes. Listen to my man, John Katz and Matides. This is a great show, folks. Great show. The Katz Roundtable. That's where common sense prevails. He does tell both sides of the story. It's every Sunday morning starting at 8. You can also listen anytime on the 77 WABC app. Here, John talks with Andrew Sabine. Andrew Sabin, uh, tell us uh, your experience and what you got accomplished last week. Well, it's actually, wait, this uh, started 10 months ago. And I get a call one day from my partner, the International Fund for Animal Welfare, and said, look, we've got these four lion cubs. Can we get them flown back to the United States? The three of the four were found in a duffel bag at the train station in Odessa, Ukraine. Well, there it is, John Katsimatidis, Andrew Sabin, all part of that great Sunday morning Cats Roundtable show, and, of course, Cats other great weekday show as well, 5 p.m. every weeknight, along with Rita Cosby, called Cats and Cosby. 6.37, Monday morning, our first look at traffic as we wind down the last day of July. How about that, Joan Olin? Unbelievable. Right? That, yeah, the summer is two-thirds over already. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Well, the Crazy. good news is once the summer ends, you do get football. That's, That's right. Good, yeah. New York Jets. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. This is Sid on Sports. Oh Sponsored by Fearless Boilers on 77 WABC. Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour sports update sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best built boilers following Saturday's blockbuster news that the Mets would be sending Max Scherzer to the Texas Rangers in a trade. His now former teammate and Justin Verlander showed the front office why they shouldn't do the same with him ahead of tomorrow's trade deadline. The right-hander earned his 250th career victory in what fans are hoping is not his final start with the Mets, who beat the Washington Nationals 5-2 at home yesterday to cap off the weekend series win. With David Robertson and now Scherzer both traded away, it's possible Verlander could be next as the disappointing Mets accept their reality. We'll see what's in store for Verlander and the rest of the organization as time runs out before tomorrow's deadline. After an off day today, the Mets will head to Kansas City tomorrow to open a series with the Royals. Now for the Yankees, who hold sole possession of last place in the A at least once again after last night's 9-3 loss in uh, in Baltimore, I should say. Uh, Kevin, if you wouldn't mind uh, grabbing that phone for us. There you go, Cap. Hey, oh, wait, hey, oh. Uh, the Yanks, they lose 9-3 to in Baltimore to the Orioles. A long-awaited return of Captain Aaron Judge did happen over the weekend, but despite that, the Yanks still lose. They've got some questions that need answering as well as the trade deadline approaches. General Manager Brian Cashman hasn't moved any pieces around just yet, but I'd expect him to at least try and move the needle a little bit before the 6 p.m. cutoff tomorrow. Up next for the Yanks is a three-game set with another division arrival in the Tampa Rays, who are in town for a 7.05 p.m. first pitch tonight in the first of three with New York. Domingo Herman gets tabbed with the start against Tampa 
is Tyler Glass now. And a quick look at the FIFA Women's World Cup, where Team USA is set to return to the pitch tomorrow afternoon against Team Portugal. Currently top, uh, top Group B here uh, with the Netherlands with uh, four registered points thus far. So you got that to look forward to. And on Thursday, of course, the Jets and Browns opening up some preseason football action with the uh, NFL's Hall of Fame game. That's at 8 p.m. this upcoming Thursday. Sports sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to peerlessboilers.com, pavilion to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best built boilers. I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. Oi! This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. 77 WABC. What generally happens is when you talk about what's factually happening on the ground, they will throw up, usually New York Post, but whoever, headlines of crime that's occurring and people who are being harmed. And I want to be clear, that is real. <laughs> that is real. People are being harmed, people are being hurt. But what they do is they put that up there so they can override any factual information that you will provide. And the question is, how do we best harm the victims? How, um, her, uh, how <laughs> do we best heal and protect the victims that are being hurt? Victims, right, New York. The victims that I work with who have buried <laughs> their children because of these daily reforms. Okay, <laughs> these reforms did not cause anyone to die. Wrong. And I will tell you, maybe much more like so many people on here, I have been, unfortunately, to more funerals than I count. <laughs> Unlike many of the people who troll me, um, I have been with parents right after they've lost their child. I've been to funerals, so much so that it, it, it begins to affect you as well. And thankfully, I have my own mental health. I can't imagine what these parents are going through. <laughs> but the reason I do that is so I don't forget and I don't get lost into what, like what victims, I want to make sure you get your right, victims' rights in New York get lost in. They get lost in the emotion of it, even though nobody's dead because of bear reform. That's not true. Uh, even though there's no connection between these reforms and people dying, if they can throw it out there along with the headlines, they can get you so afraid that you begin to believe what they're saying. And people, I want you to do this in real time. I want you to do it in real time. I want you to Google... The most dangerous cities in the United States of America. New York City will not be on any of them. They won't be on a big city list. They won't be on the small city list. Sure. It's important to point this out. I want you to put out the most dangerous states in the country. Google it while we talk. New York City, New York State won't be on the top dangerous list the moron. of people of states with dangerous. I mean, really? In fact... And you can do your own research, and please sure. do it so that people yeah. won't lie to you. Right. The most dangerous states mm -hmm. in the country mm -hmm. are led by Republicans. You dick. That's the public advocate. I mean, just a thieving, lying moron, Jamani Williams. I see this uh, tweet, Jennifer Harrison. He kept mentioning Victim Rights New York. Of course, that's my dear friend Jennifer Harrison. He was doing uh, one of these IG Live deals. So he kept reading the, the stuff in the chat room. Bob Holden, Democrat out of Queens, for the biggest coward in government. That's pretty hot. Look in the mirror, Jumani. You call for defunding the NYPD while living securely 
on an army base. That's true. He lives on uh, Fort Hamilton Army Base there by the Verrazano Bridge. And you have my cell, yet you tweet and invite two hours before your event while I'm spending the day with my grandkids. The public has no advocate is the hashtag. So with that said, two very special guests on the phone early on a Monday morning. Once again, victim rights New York, Jennifer Harrison, and the aforementioned Democrat Bob Holden. Jennifer, Bob, good morning, guys. How are you? Good morning, Sid. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Uh, Jen, let's start with you. You sent me this yesterday, and you get all fired up. It's great. I'm coming home from a really nice weekend with my family. I paid no attention to any news or any politics, and you're all fired up on a Sunday, but it was it was so uh, so good that I, I booked you guys right away. How did this start? How did you become aware of this Tumani Williams IG show? And quite frankly, why do you even care? And I knew that Mr. Holden probably didn't see it. I mean, any elected official would not think a serious invitation to join a conversation on public policy would be sent on Twitter on a Sunday afternoon. So Mr. Holden's right. Um, But, you know, Jumani Williams asked everybody to join him. So I did. And, you know, I I kept presenting him and all of his viewers and, and participants with facts. He kept saying that people aren't dead because of bail reform. Well, they are. There are over 305 people that are dead because of bail reform, and I work with a lot of those families. And and, and for him to sit there, Sid, and say that he's been to more funerals, okay, maybe he shows up at the funerals and the photo ops, but I'm there for the aftermath. I deal with these families on a daily basis for the long run after they bury their children, after they bury their loved ones for the court proceedings, for the, the, the parole hearings afterwards, you know, sometimes five years afterwards, sometimes 10 years afterwards, sometimes 15, 25 years after the fact. I don't go away, Jumani Williams, while he cowers in his ivory tower that in a secure facility and doesn't have to deal with the consequences of his his policies that he supports. He's disgusting. No, he is, and he's a liar. You know, again, the safest big city, and I don't care what stats they present me. New York City is not safe. New York State is not safe. And he lied about bail reform. Bob, you actually, again, referred to Jamani Williams here as the biggest coward in government. And not to be disrespectful, because I do love you, Bob. I love you. But almost every Democrat is a coward these days. Why is he the biggest well, because nobody knows what he does, Sid. What, tell me what he does. I have no he's idea. He's a public advocate. No, nobody knows. He's well, but but, but I, I know what he's supposed to do because I remember when my friend Eric Korich, who's not having a great time the last couple of weeks, when he ran and he told me the public advocate's job is to hold the mayor to task. And I know one time when Mayor Eric Adams came out with a new bill for the homeless, that was the one time Jamani Williams was critical. Otherwise, all Jamani Williams does is agree with all the lousy policy going on in this city. Yeah, but again, the, the, the public advocate is unnecessary. Jamani Williams is in, is in like a fantasy world. He has a dro- two drivers. He has a police detail. He lives on an army base. He doesn't ride the subways. Just go down the subways. You know what's going on in New York City when you ride the subways. That's it. Period. Crime is is up, uh, you know, tw- about thirty seven percent overall in the last two years from the years before. Thirty seven percent subway crime is up like sixty percent. It's ridiculous. And he's like safest big city. He's in slogans, but he's a crime denier. We all know it. 
He actually, Williams is yeah. not necessary to New York City. He actually uh, said about you, Bob Holden is a Democrat, but he's really a Republican, as if that's a slight, as if that's a nasty thing to say. But he did say that you're a Democrat, but you really are a Republican. What are your I'm thoughts a common on that? sense Democrat. There's very few of us. Kalman Yeager, my colleague in the city council, is a common sense Democrat. That means we believe in public safety. What's wrong with that, Germani? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. So, so, <laughs> God bless you, Bob. So, Jen, when, when you hear Jamani Williams flat out lie, as he did there on IG, and, of course, you've been through the tragedy of your boyfriend being murdered years and years ago. I don't think Jamani was there for that. Uh, when you hear him lie right there, I know you get angry, but what's the next step? Well, we just have to, you know, hold his feet to the fire, which is why I appreciate you having us on this morning. The New York Post does write articles on him. The last article I actually participated in because his office um, is basically closed. You you call there and you get a voicemail. Meanwhile, he has 52 employees that work from home that are all on taxpayer-funded salaries. So, you know, I, I put out a tweet since that's his method of inviting people to a conversation last night to ask him to join our show. I'm guessing that he's not calling in, right? No, he's not. No. <laughs> right. no. So who's who is the coward now, Jamani? Yeah. You know, and, and where is he? Is he even waking up to work today, or is he asleep with his family while Mister Holden is on with at six forty-five in the morning to let people know about the reality of crime in the city he represents? It is interesting, Bob, and you made the point a couple of times. We don't need a Jamani Williams in New York, and you question exactly what the public advocate does, and it's a great question. So. Is there an opportunity here to maybe remove that office here in New York? Yes, we do. Uh, I just spoke to Kalman Yeager last night. He had a bill in the last council to eliminate the public advocate. So we're reintroducing it now because this guy, we, he just, you know, by, by uh, chirping at me. And again, he invites me uh, two hours before his radio show. And I was out with my kids, my grandkids. I was, you know, having a great day. It was a beautiful day yesterday. I'm not yeah. going to be on with uh, Jamani Williams <laughs> in his fantasy world. The guy is delusional, first of all. But we're reintroducing that bill to eliminate the office of the public advocate. Can you tell me why Jamani Williams, Bob, of all the officials here in New York, and maybe because you are, as you called yourself, a common-sense Democrat, and I agree you are. I also agree there's very, very few of you. Uh, but is that why he personally attacked you? Well, again, um, I put out, you know, controversial tweets. I mean, I get it from, from Donovan Richards, too. He, he says, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's run somebody against Bob Holden. Uh, you know, he's not a real Democrat. They don't know that there were, at, at one time, conservative Democrats. Uh, there's very few uh, now, and uh, I have one other. That's all in the city council. Like I said, Calvin Yeager. I do feel uh, like uh, the guy that just ran against Melinda Katz for DA, Judge George Grasso, maybe one of those guys. Yeah, he's, he's like that, too. There's a, there's a few of us. But Jumani Williams is a socialist. He's a, you know he, he's really a communist. Uh, the guy is, is delusional if he thinks that New York City is the safest big city. Uh, and, they, and, again, they use these slogans. All you have to do is take the subway, walk the streets. You always see something going on, and people feel unsafe. My wife will not, you know, she will not take the subway. And I get it. We all want to bring the city back. But let's get real. Let's start addressing crime and stop defunding the police. 
Well, I'll tell you what, the city council races, you've got the elections coming up. I keep saying Bob and Jennifer, everybody's so caught up, and I get it, in the 2024 presidential election. But here in New York, much more important is what's happening this November, 2023. These city council races, they affect all of us much more on a daily basis than who's sitting on Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C. And I don't feel like Bob Holden, the New York public, understands how important this November is. And if everybody did understand, they'd go out and vote. But just so many people don't vote. And that is just so sad. And we're losing our city. This is a critical time in our city's history. We can go either way. We have a mayor that's trying. I, you know, again, I, I do criticize some of the things, but he's by, by and large, he's trying. And he's trying to build up the NYPD. Right now, I mean, I, I hear the scanner. I, I listen to the scanner. The, each unit, each uh, you know, police car is holding five jobs, 911 calls, each one of them, five jobs. That means if they don't pri- you know, prioritize your, your crime or your situation, they're not coming. And that's a problem, and, and, that's, and I hear that all the time. I've complained to the mayor about this. We're trying to get more police, but it's, it's a long haul now at this point. And we can't have people like Jermani Williams saying these things, that, oh, it's safest big city in the country. Come on. No, I agree with you. It's uh, it's a lie. It's a lie, and it does uh, give certain people a false sense of security when you know, Jen, better than anybody else, sitting there with Jim Jordan and uh, from Jose Alba, of course, the bodega owner, to uh, Borgen, his father, when Borgen got beat up just for being a Jew on your own personal history. You know more than anybody else, this city is far from safe. The city is far from safe, and and the headlines and the and the statistics everybody talks about are not just headlines and numbers. There are real people behind them. They're they're feeling real pain. It's lifelong. It's never ending. I'm here almost 19 years after my boyfriend was murdered, and and it never goes away. It, it never and and for the people that have buried children, I, if it happened to my son, Sid, I don't think that I would be sitting here talking to you right now. So you know, these people that have buried their children are experiencing lifelong pain and trauma. And for him to dismiss that as a headline and and to call me a fear monger and and trying to get everybody's emotions on a Sunday afternoon and participating in this live chat with him because of the work that I do and because it is emotional. These are these are real things that really happen. And for him to dismiss it at, at every time that he's presented with a fact as just, you know, emotions is just is beyond disgusting. And and I hope that they are able to remove that office from the roster in the city because it's just it's ridiculous awful awful people come out of that office well if they can't remove that office we'll wrap it up right here bob holden if you can't remove that office what do you do next in terms of jamani williams well aside from him he you know he, he's pushing his bail reform less is more raise the age and the problem that we're seeing with with these bills uh, that they passed in Albany is that the DAs really cannot even prosecute because of discovery laws. They're they're probably not you know getting convictions in in most of them, most of the cases, or they're dropping the cases because of discovery laws. They just can't meet it. They just can't do all the things that our assembly and and state legislature wants to do. Uh, the criminal justice system has been weakened. We got to strengthen it. Jamani Williams is not really uh, I'm not going to even comment the offices are not necessary he doesn't do anything really except chirp 
And the guy's got nothing to do. Like like Jennifer said, he's not even there. He's not, he's not in the office. No, I know. He sits in his apartment there by Fort Hamilton and, and sits on Instagram. Around him. <laughs> I know. Please. Well, listen, it's uh, great to hear I'd from I'd actually like yes. to say, Sid, Sid, really, really quick. I'd actually like to say, you know, I understand the DAs have, have a, a hard job ahead of them because of the, the state laws in Albany. But they're part of the problem, too. And, you know, out here in Suffolk County, we have Ray Tierney, who's amazing, and doesn't use the excuse of Albany to not do his job. He charges people properly. He does his job anyway, and he gets it done. And Suffolk County is safer because of it. And that's another reason why local elections are so important. Couldn't agree more. It's on me on Ray Tierney. I love the guy. Well, listen, thank you so much, both uh, Democrat Council Member Bob Holden, one of my favorites, and, of course, my dear friend Jennifer Harrison, Victim Rights New York, for joining me early on a Monday morning. Great job by both you guys. Screw Jumani Williams. You two are great Americans. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. There it is. Bob and Jen, as we wrap up our number one. Sitting friends in the morning on this Monday morning, big 7 o'clock hour to come your way, including Curtis Sliwa and Rich Lowry. And don't forget, before we're said and done, Larry Trump and Stephen Van Zandt from the E Street Band. All that Monday morning with me, Sid Rosenberg, exclusively right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Listen, 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. On your Monday morning, hour number two of the number one rated Sid and Friends in the morning. So I get a uh, text, I get a lot of texts, from Curtis. Everybody knows Curtis is the only guest I've got that's on every day. Most people love it. Some give me a hard time. But the good news is, is I don't care what anybody else thinks. I just look at the ratings and I say, wow, people must really like this. And Curtis brings something to the table every day, every day. So he sends me a bunch of texts over the weekend, but this one was one that really caught my eye. Curtis, of course, gets big ratings noon to one every weekday afternoon, overnights, all weekend long, and arguably does his best work with me every morning at about 7.10. He sends me this. 
Mayor Eric Adams accuses media of being, quote, intentionally destructive to black men at the National Urban League Conference in Houston. And as I continue to repair my relationship with Eric, and hopefully, I'm saying this now for two weeks, Manash, starting to get pissed, and also Fabian, hopefully this will be the week that Eric comes back. But um, basically you said, here we go again. The black guy, the race, black, 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 black. When is Eric Adams, Curtis, going to stop saying things like that? Why the hell should he stop saying that now? He's been saying that almost all 60 years of his life, right? And he's become mayor of the city of New York. So now all of a sudden you're going to tell him, oh, no, no, don't play that black race card anymore. Don't hide behind your complexion, which is your protection. What is this nonsense? And, look, I blame our media call because they let him get away with that in the primary. They elevated him. Remember, they said, the new face of the Democratic Party. They called him mayor before he was even elected mayor. They gave him the red carpet. They gave me, the white boy, the Caucasian persuasion, (laughs) the flea bag treatment. I never complained, but Eric Adams has been complaining every step of the way because... He realizes he's got no answers for these problems. So when you don't have an answer, you look at the predominant white media core and you intimidate and bully them, and you know how that how easy that that is to do. No reporter wants to be called a racist. No. So right away they say, I don't want that scarlet letter. Yeah. Whereas I, Curtis Lee, I throw my chest out say, go ahead, give me your best no, shot. I, I'm Eric. with you. I welcome it. If I'm telling the truth, call me what you want. I mean, here you've got Jamani Williams, another black man. You heard the conversation I had moments ago with Democrat out of Queens, Bob Holden and Jennifer Harrison, Victim Rights New York, saying on Instagram yesterday, there is no crime issue, that uh, we're actually doing well here, that New York City is safe, New York State is safe, and not one person. According to Jermani Williams, not one person has died because of bail reform. He's a black guy. So if I criticize him right now, am I being racist or am I just telling the truth? Well, as was pointed out by Bob Holden. By the way, I want to inform Bob Holden. He listens to his scanner at night, right, to find out all the crime taking place in Middle Village, Glendale, Maspeth. He's not going to be able to do that. They're encrypting the system, the NYPD, on the orders of Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. Because they don't want the media or average people to hear all the crime on the scanner. They say, oh, this is being done to protect our police department. No, it's being done to cover up your tuckuses so that we don't get to hear on a scanner all the police runs and the police calls that they have to make because you want to keep that out of sight, out of mind. And it, let me tell you something about Jumani Williams. As was pointed out, this guy used to own a house where? In Canarsie. And they foreclosed on it. So where did he go to live? Behind the golden protected gates of Fort Hamilton, the army base under the Verrazano Bridge. Not far from where you and your friends went to school. <laughs> what, what, what's the name of that school again? Oh, that would be uh, Poly Prep. Day School. <laughs> what kind of, what no, kind no, of a man's poly man? Prep. Country oh, days, country yeah. days go. What kind of a man's man is proud to wear that on a T-shirt? <laughs> but anyway, he lives behind the gate, protected by the army, the military police, and then he tells us how safe it is. Of course, it's safe for him, and he gets driven around in an SUV that we paid for, protected by the very police that he hates. Give up possible? your police detail. I know, but how is it possible that people who want to defund the police? Actually, have police protecting them. Can we ever get to the point 
in our society. I mean this sincerely. I mean it sincerely. I'm not, I'm not being fictitious. Can we get to the point where somebody like that, who wants to deep on the police, loses his privilege of a detail? Well, why is that so outrageous? If he wants to get rid of cops, why should he have his own? Uh, let me take you back in time because you seem to be having a fog <laughs> yeah. of memory. Yeah. When I was running for mayor, I said I wanted no police detail. Remember? I do remember that. I yes. don't want no pay. And yeah. then finally, Eric said, "I don't want a police detail." But the moment he got elected mayor, he not only wanted a police detail, he wanted his brother Bernard Adams, who was parking cars at Virginia Commonwealth University, <laughs> to come up and protect him from the white supremacists. What in the aisles of Beth Bath and Beyond when they were having sales on white sheets and white pillowcases? And now we see slowly. I turn step by step. There was your very dear friend, Eric Overage, a guy who was made the buildings commissioner of the city of New York while owing the Bonanno crime family 600000 in gambling debts and a vig. And he's side by side with his pal, Eric Adams, up in the Bronx at a fundraiser in the construction industry for Eric Adams to become mayor and state mayor of the city of New York. And then all of a sudden, Eric Adams says to your guy, Eric Ulrich, Give your phone to my brother Bernard Adams now, and we're going to do a walk and talk. I understand you're the target of an investigation because of your gambling problems. Watch your back, Eric Ulrich. Watch your phone. Who's been telling you, Sid, that Joe Borelli and everyone else don't talk to this guy? He's wired up like a Christmas tree. He's a confidential informer. He's a rat who's eating the Parmesan (laughs) cheese. He's going before the grand jury. They're going to hit him with charges. And watch him squeal like a pig. Well, here's the the issue with Eric. I like Eric Ulrich. I'm on record. I'll say that right now. I don't know about his business dealings, crime families. I know none of that. But I like the kid. But, but, I was in um, Beach Bagel, my friend Muhammad, on Saturday morning on the way upstate. Wait, wait, Beach Bagel? Yes. Muhammad was yes. having the bagel with the shmeer? No, Muhammad owns it. He is a wait, great is, man. How does Muhammad own Don't a bagel bagel? Because we, he, we are a very diverse community. Yeah, uh, boy, that's <laughs> diversity, all right. <laughs> we have none, actually, none. But he's a great guy. He owns a bagel store. So I'm standing online on Saturday morning. The cover of the New York Daily News is Ulrich. And he's saying, the mayor warned me that they're coming after me. So he has said that, but there has been no proof yet that that actually happened. Or has there been? Wait a second, yeah. Sid. What is How what? quickly <laughs> you have the fog that is completely taken over your medulla and cerebellum. <laughs> okay. Remember, people would say, hey, let's go to Aldo's right there on Picking Avenue Cross Bay Boulevard. Going to get a slice and a Coke. Sure. Good place. You're walking to Aldo's. Where's the action tonight? Huh? Come on. Where's the card game? And then, would, you know, Eric Ulrich was such a degenerate gambler, still is, that they would mess with his head. The Bonanno crime family said, call him up. It's 12 midnight. Where the guy? He's sleeping. Nah, call him up. Tell him we got action four blocks away in the basement. He'll show up in a half hour without showering and shaving, and we'll milk this sucker until the break of dawn. This guy owes a vig to the Bonanno crime family and Eric Adams. And your guy, Frank Caron, knew that. But they said to Eric, raise us a million dollars in matching funds in the construction industry, and we'll put the fox in the chicken coop. We'll make 
make you the commissioner of buildings. Okay, so here's the next question. Because I believe now the buildings commissioner is another guy you don't like, Frank Morano's good friend out of Staten Island, Jamato. Is that right? You don't yeah, like him. Yeah, either. never, never, never carried a bag of nails or a hammer. <laughs> what is it? You know, look, look, let's be completely honest. Curtis yeah. Lee, who knows who runs the Department of Buildings? It's your friend Joe Esposito. Right. Who's the deputy commissioner of the buildings department? Did you see the picture that Pat Russo sent me this weekend of Joe Esposito and kissing, Eric Adams kissing Eric yeah, Adams, it was swapping like, it, it, spit? It was like Obama and Chris Christie walking the uh, the shore on the you beach. Remember, remember when Eric Adams was railing at uh, Reverend A. R. Bernard's church? That God talks to him. The only person to say he wasn't a nut job, screwball, Esposito, Esposito for job. That's security. my guy. You can't talk bad whoa, about Joe. But he's running, no, no, he's running the Department you of Buildings. That's fine. He's a great guy. But my question to you now becomes, Eric Ulrich is in trouble. Again, let me press. I like Eric, but he's in trouble. He has made this claim that the mayor did, in fact, warn him, look out, they're coming for you. Do you think eventually that could be proven? Because if that's proven, that is a big, big issue for the mayor, is it not? Of course, because that means that he had inside information and he was interfering with, with an case. investigation. A federal investigation. That's right. Right. So you think No, that... not a federal investigation. No, That's Alvin Bragg. Okay. That's Alvin Bragg. C- the city, the state. So you think that this is going to be proven? Or you don't think so? Well, again, Eric Adams' complexion will be his protection because you think his homeboy, <laughs> friends since the days that they were ordained by Al Slim Shady Sharpton at the National Action Hate Network, do you think that all of a sudden Alvin Bragg is going to go after the mayor? No, but he's scared the mayor. That's why you never hear Eric Adams' name and shame, Alvin Bragg. Not only that, but you may remember I had Eric Adams on this show. And I said, Eric, I'm a little upset with you. I did. I said, you came out initially, and you said, Daniel Penny, the hero Marine that killed that scumbag on the subway. I said, initially, you said all the right things. And then eventually you said, listen, Alvin Bragg has worked very, very hard. He's done thorough research on this, and he was okay with the grand jury charge. He completely flipped on it. So not only did not say anything bad about Alvin Bragg, he came out of my show and said, He's doing a good job. He's very thorough. Not only that, he took our tax dollars, and he's given more money to one of your peeps, the CEO, Muzzy Rosenblatt. What a name, Muzzy <laughs> Rosenblatt of the Bowery Residence Committee. They ride the subways and count the homeless people. Now, you say you count them. What do you do with them? Well, we count them once, and then we count them twice, and we have our ratings. Remember, they had Jordan Neely rated as one of the 50 most dangerous people living and riding in the subways each day. Now, the uh, Denapoli, the state controller, said... That, that organization, they're wasting our tax dollars. So what did your friend Eric Adams do? He boosted their monies up to $104 million. <laughs> and what are we getting for that? Ooh, guys, <laughs> we're getting bumpkins. Look at the Roosevelt Hotel. Night after night, you've seen these single, able-bodied guys laying out on the streets. Where are the women? Where are the children? Which would be taking in the children? Where are the Ukrainians? Real asylum seekers. Real refugees. 
refugees from war. None of them are there. This is a racket. This is a shakedown. That was done purposely by the Adams administration. And when did it start? Right after he got pimp slapped again when he went to Washington with Mayorkas. He said, I need money. I need money. You know what Mayorkas said? Well, we'll give you an aide to camp, you know, to improve the communication. Let me tell you something. This guy is orchestrating the destruction of our city. Join us today. For the third time, I'm going to be demonstrating against Eric Adams, who wants to build a tent on Creedmoor and put a thousand illegal, able-bodied men out there to do nothing all day but drink cerveza and smoke weed. Join us today at 1 o'clock at 73rd Avenue and Bell Boulevard in Oakland Gardens to stop this outside of the councilmanic offices of Linda Lee, the Democrat, who is doing nothing but giving cover and aid and benefiting from the illegal alien invasion and support my guy running to replace her, Bernard Chow. Asian power in the Republican Party. And who started that? Curtis Lee, where they voted for me. First time ever in a mayoral election. And we're going to help take back this city from your friend, Eric Adams and his cronies. And I warned you, Sid. I warned you. Don't talk to Eric Ulrich. He's wired up like a Christmas tree. And now everybody is calling me up and saying, oh, my God, you were right. What is he going to do? I said, he got his chips. They took his chips out of his phone and they put in a new chip. And guess what? If your name is on his old chip, and we're not talking Lay's potato chips or Wise potato chips, you could be going to J A I L. WABC items. You'll want to go, go, go to WABCRadioStore.com. Like a vision, she dances across the porch as the radio plays. Roy Orbison singing for the lonely. Hey, that's me and I want you only. Don't turn me home again, I just can't face myself alone again. Don't run back inside, darling, you know just what I'm here for. So you're scared and you're thinking that maybe we ain't that young anymore. Sure, a little faith is magic in the night. You ain't a beauty, but hey, you're all right. Oh, and it's all right with me. Classic Bruce, Thunder Road. One of the greatest albums ever born to run and... Little Stevie from the E Street Band, also Silvio Dante from the Sopranos. Steven Van Zandt will join me coming up at about 10 after 9 this morning. Bruce performing now back in the States. And uh, Danielle and myself, we've got backstage passes coming up August 29th in New Jersey. We'll talk to my dear friend Little Stevie coming up at uh, 10 after 9 this morning. That was Jim Comer. 
And the House, they are trying desperately to put the Bidens away and prove they are, in fact, a criminal family. With that said, he's the editor of the National Review, Political NBC. He does it all, but his best work right here at this time every Monday morning. And that's my dear friend, Rich Lowry. Rich, good Monday morning, buddy. How are you? We got one last chance to make it real. Yes, we Spreading do. His wings on some wings on some wheels. He just can't start playing that song. It stops it. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, the best Bruce song. It's it really so is. Evocative. I, I, it's I, so wonderful. It's so funny you saying that because I'm a diehard Bruce fan, obviously. And when I ask what my favorite song is, I, I quickly say Thunder Road. I'm so happy to hear you say that. Yeah, absolutely. And that album, you know, Jungle Land's no... Uh, oh, no, uh, right. No. Oh, oh, oh. Come on, wish the Rangers had a homecoming down oh, in the yeah. late last the night. Magic Rat. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should Whispers take you to the concert. Soft. Maybe you and I should go to the concert together. How about that? And then surrender. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, Rich. Good for you. All right, so Jim Comer is talking about the DOJ... You know, they actually, I guess the claim was they sent a letter because one of Hunter's business associates, a guy that I guess was involved in China, Ukraine, Romania, Devin Archer, uh, the DOJ sent a letter. They wanted Archer put in prison before he is set to testify this morning on Capitol Hill. Now, it didn't work, and Devin Archer is, in fact, going to testify, but Comer and other Republicans insist the DOJ once again tried to work on behalf of the Biden criminal family. Your thoughts? Yeah. I don't know whether that's true, but the, the timing, I mean, <laughs> it's highly suspicious, right? All, all of a sudden, you're going to the slammer now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. re- re- whatever you do, report, report to jail before 9 a.m. Monday. Um, and I, I guess they withdrew it or said it was a mistake, but uh, very odd. Well, I do uh, want to know this. Uh, we've heard Tony Bobolinsky. He's another one of Hunter Biden's associates. There's really three guys that you take a good look at. I guess it's uh, Eric Schwerin. It is Tony Bobolinsky, and it's this guy, Devin Archer. And we've heard all of them at separate times. Bobolinsky, uh, not on Capitol Hill, but on Tucker Carlson and other spots, uh, saying the same thing, all three, that the big guy is, in fact, Joe Biden. So assuming Devin Archer says it again, on Capitol Hill today, and I, and I believe he will. Uh, what does that mean moving forward? It's not as if they haven't said it before, and it's gotten very little traction among the liberal media and the Democrats. Yeah, so it, it will it will advance the case, I assume, if everything he says everything that we uh, think he's going to say, um, th- thanks to Miranda Devine first breaking this story. But, I mean, the, the big guy, we have now several people who had uh, – no reason to lie or at least wouldn't have been able to coordinate across time saying this, that he's the big guy. So clearly he he is the big guy. He was the big guy. And what what's going to get the media to finally pay attention? You know, it's it's like a, it's going to have to be a check or, you know, a wire transfer or something really yeah, concrete. It. But but yeah. it's been blown away the idea that he, he didn't know anything about this long ago. And he was obviously was involved in it. And. I'm probably profiting from it. I guess they can also say the liberal media, Devin Archer, you're going to believe that guy? I mean, he was charged and convicted of two felonies for bilking the Native American Indians out of money a couple of years ago, say. So I guess they can always go back to that, right? This guy's a criminal. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and Hunter Biden was in business with them, right? So right. what does that tell us about, about Hunter Biden? Um, yeah, but that's that's the advantage of, of if you're working with sleazy people and they turn on you, you can always say, oh, that person was sleazy. But the, the only reason you're working with them for the first place is you yourself were sleazy. And, and Joe Biden at least was aware of the sleaziness, and it, it seems to be um, at a certain level as a party to it. Right, but the Democrats and the media, they're willing. They're ready, willing, and able to throw Hunter under the bus and say yes and when I say throw them under the bus, mind you, a lot of them last week, for example, The View, uh, some others on MSNBC, they were very angry with Republicans and Fox News, for example, for, you know, calling out Joe Biden for, quote, loving his son. And yeah. no one is doing that. I'm a recovering addict. My father was aggravated, disappointed, upset with me. He still loved me, but I wasn't taking money, millions and millions of dollars, and giving it to him. So this nonsense they tried to pull up last week is nothing but that. Nonsense. Yeah, and, and there was a, a paragraph in the narrative associated with this ridiculous plea agreement that the judge um, shot down last week that said, you know, he was so drug-addled and out of his mind, he couldn't play, pay his taxes, but he was such a good citizen, he was still managing to, to, to run his business and make millions of dollars. So which of those, right. those things don't add up? And the only reason people were throwing millions of dollars at him, obviously, is because he was the vice president's son, and they thought they, they should, could get some advantage from it. One of my uh, friends these days, I'm getting closer and closer, is the congresswoman out of South Carolina, Nancy Mace, who had the uh, yeah. nerve. Oh, she's the best. Last week, she... I, th- uh, I thought of you when she she's opened the prayer breakfast in a very Sid-like way. <laughs> <laughs> she did. She said, my, my fiancé grabbed me by the waist and tried to take me back into bed, and she was met by a lot of real a lot of anger from republicans and she was on the show last week talking about it she was hilarious but she's one of the few republicans who are not for impeaching joe biden me i'd impeach them all i'd impeach biden i'd impeach mayorkas i'd impeach uh, certainly merrick garland i'd impeach them all what about which lowry i uh, i i kind of put down a stake during the the trump impeachment so you really shouldn't do it unless you think you get have a shot at it in the in the Senate, um, but they're going to do it. Um, now, McCarthy has cooled down on the impeachment inquiry f- for now. That might be just he, he thinks he doesn't have the, the votes to open them. You know, he has a very narrow open. It. He has a very narrow majority. But I, I think once you once you put that in the water and start talking about it, you're going to end up doing it. And once you do the impeachment inquiry, as we talked about last week, then, then you end up impeaching him. So I think it's probably going to happen. You know, Donald Trump had a big rally, which Lowry Saturday night in Erie, Pennsylvania. And at one point, he did threaten House Republicans who won't impeach Biden. In fact, he pledges to endorse all of their primary opponents, and MSNBC has played that about 20 times this morning. Me, I'm okay with that. What are your thoughts? Well, again, I, I don't think it's uh, be a really useful thing to do, but he uh, has a, a huge voice in the party, obviously one that's probably only stronger now. I mean, the, the, the polling, there's a New York Times poll that just hit that had, I think has him at 54 and DeSantis at 17, and everyone else literally at three. Um, so, you know, he, he's almost in presumptive nominee territory already if uh, if he's not there. So what he says is going to be taken really seriously. It's another um, that's another thing that's going to push, push McCarthy in that direction. I guess Ron DeSantis is starting to get, uh, I guess he feels like it's over, because he actually said Trump's name-calling is juvenile this weekend. He said Trump's strategy is wrong. He had some bad policies, some lousy endorsements. This was about the toughest we've heard Ron DeSantis over the past weekend. So clearly panic has set in for the Florida governor. I think he's coming to the realization finally he's got no chance, none. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, this is the the conundrum he and others have. So if um, the, the party doesn't want you to criticize Trump, it, it kind of some of them say they're open to an alternative to Trump, but even they they're, they're not big on criticizing Trump. Most of them. So how do you how do you beat a guy? Right? You can't criticize, you can't criticize him, right? And, and then what, what does it do to you when he's hammering on you all the time, humiliating you, giving you a nickname, and you say nothing, right? Yeah. It unmans you. It, ma- it makes you look weak. It makes you look afraid. It makes you look as you as if you know he's dominant. So the uh, the attack the to this point has just been to, to eat that, you know, just to take that, you know, uh, and, and wait. And maybe he's decided he can't wait anymore, but it's um, he's in a tough spot. There were one or two polls that came out last week that said, forget about uh, Trump beating DeSantis, he's got a 37-point lead. Don't got to be Nostradamus to figure that one out. But one or two polls last week said if the race was today, Trump would beat Biden. So here we go, Rich Lowry. It's an exercise we do now every week for a year and a half coming up. If the election was this morning, who was the 47th president of the United States? Uh, Same place. Wow. It's a coin toss, but I, I would tip it to Biden. Still? Yeah. Well, it's, it's just been one week, Sid. <laughs> no, I know, but a lot has happened in one week. Don't forget. I mean, they found out Biden lied about 100 more things, no? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, uh, that's, that's not news for, for uh, a lot of us. So the only um, but, way, you know, the only, incredibly weak. is the incredibly only weak. way you'll change your mind is if, in fact, the House produces bank records and really takes the Biden crime family to the next level? Is that the only way you think Trump will win? No, I don't think it's the only way. But I, I think uh, the big three big risk factors for Biden, some, something terrible happening health-wise, uh, a smoking gun in the scandal, which is, which, uh, is plausible, or a recession. Um, but, you know, if, if none of those things happen, I think Trump could still win. Um, I think it's, it's, it's harder. But, you know, you have to, there, there's a long time between – between now and then, so I, so I can ch- I could change my answer. I'm not not set in stone, but uh, I'm I'm probably not going to change soon. Yankees have played 105 baseball games this year. That means they've got 57 to go. They're only five games over 500. They're in dead last inside the American League East. They are staring out what looks like their 14th consecutive season without playing for all the marbles. They won the World Series all the way back in 2009. If you own the Yankees, which Lowry, would you finally fire the GM, Brian Cashman? I'd fire him at the end of the season, yeah. Yeah, you would? Yeah. You think he's the guy that should be the scapegoat? Yeah, and 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 Hal. Me as the owner not spending a little bit more when they, they were genuinely very close. Um, so this whole thing that we're going to see how the Orioles series go and decide whether we need to buy or sell. You're, you're not as good as the Orioles. That's why you need to buy if you want to, if you want to get better, you know. But I got you. Brian's been around for like a quarter of a century. I had this conversation with Chris Russo last week. And everybody knows he's done a really good job. Lots of 100-win seasons and championships. But, again, you can't go 14 years without winning a World Series. So even Russo said you got to get rid of Cashman. You feel the same way. Yeah, and, and I don't want to transfer the attention over to, to the Mets, but I, I'm not saying this to be a jerk. I, it, it took a lot of balls to go for it the way they did in the offseason, and it takes a lot of balls to admit, you know what, this doesn't work, yeah. and we're going to tear it down at least for now. So I, I give them credit that level. Well, they're not saying that. I mean, they dealt the way Max Scherzer and David Robertson, but the GM, Billy Epler, said this weekend, but it's not a buyer sale. Well, wait a second. He just, he just yeah. gave up your top yeah. pitcher, or 1A, and your closer, but it's not a buyer sale? 
Yeah, you know, sometimes you can you can sell a big a big star and actually get better. It, I'm always haunted by an 04. I thought the Red Sox were done because they traded Nomar. Right. Uh, but that turned out to be a great deal that made them better and more athletic, and and they won, of course. So, um, but it doesn't seem that that's in store for the Mets. All right, which is always a, a great, 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 great conversation. Thank you so much. We'll do it again next Monday, All buddy. Right, Thank you. Have a great week. You too. The editor of the National Review, and my favorite part of that conversation was after Nancy Mace said she was late for Tim Scott's prayer breakfast because her boyfriend wanted to have sex, which Lowry thought of me. <laughs> <laughs> What's that say about Rich? We'll What's that right- say about you? We'll be right back. Like a vision, she dances across the porch as the radio plays. Roy Orbison singing for the lonely. Hey, that's me and I want you only. Don't turn me home again, I just can't face myself alone again. Don't run back inside, darling, you know just what I'm here for. So you're scared and you're thinking that maybe we ain't that young anymore. Show a little faith, there's magic in the night. mental health facts let's go nearly two million ohioans live with a mental health condition in the u.s more than 50 percent of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide so why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma ohio challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org this is Sid and Friends in the Morning. But you say he's just a friend. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Oi! Just go.
Rico Kasich, the former lead singer of the Cars, who's dead, and left Paulina, his supermodel wife, nothing. As we start our third hour this morning, 8.09, beautiful day here in New York City, beautiful. Still to come, WFAN legend Joe Beningo, he'll be here at 8.40, talking about the Mets, the trades they made, and the Jets. The Jets kick off against the Cleveland Browns coming up on Thursday night. We'll talk to Joe Coming up at 8.40. Coming up at 9.10 this morning, my dear friend, a member of Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band, also played Silvio Dante on The Sopranos, Little Stevie, my guy Stephen Van Zant, coming up at 9.10. And then from the New York Post, Michael Goodwin, coming up at 9.25. But you guys know, of course, I spent the weekend in Kanyanga Lake, upstate New York, by White Lake with my mom, Naomi it was a great time. My sister Lizzie, my brother-in-law Michael, got a beautiful house up there. He took me and Mike on the Wave Runner. And uh, my sister Ray Sherry and Albert, my sister Alana and Harry, all my nephews and nieces. It was a wonderful time. But I put a picture on Instagram, at Rosenberg.Sydney, at Rosenberg.Sydney Saturday morning on the way up there. And it's a picture of my mom's house. And outside my mom's house are three huge, I'm not talking... Average size, three huge Donald Trump flags. Now, you have to understand, I grew up with these people in upstate New York. I know almost every person who lives there, I used to at least, 176 homes, not as much anymore. But most of them are liberals, they're Democrats, they're the most annoying Jewish people God ever created. So they walk by my mom's house, they give her the finger. <laughs> my mother's 88, she couldn't care less. You know my mother, Naomi, you love her on this show. She's got three huge Donald Trump flags, and she loves them. My father passed away three years ago. Now the love of her life is Donald Trump. So I put the picture in the White House. Thanks, Mom. Yes, that's Joe Biden. So I put the picture on my Instagram, and I got a few people that liked it, like Carrie Lake, for example. She liked it out in Arizona, and so did Donald Trump's daughter-in-law, who I say every time she's on is my favorite Trump, and that's Lara Trump. By the way, Kimberly Gilboyle, nothing... Nothing from her. But Lara Trump liked it. So with that said, here she is, my favorite, Lara Trump. Good morning, Lara. Well, good morning. I'm so glad you brought this up because I was scrolling through and I was like, whoa, look at this house. This is amazing. What a patriot. What a person who loves America here. And then I'm like, oh, my God, this is his mom. What an incredible human being she is. Please tell her thank you. I if did. anything happens between my father-in-law and Melania, she'll be the first call I make, at least, because I love that enthusiasm. That's incredible. No, she really loves him. Like, I'm not even kidding. She she devotes herself to him. She doesn't feel well these days. She's got vertigo. Spent about two weeks in the hospital. When she comes on, Lara, my listeners love her because all she does is say great things about your father-in-law. She hates the Democrats, hates Biden, hates them all. And it's real. It is a genuine love she's got with this country for your father, and she wears those flags proudly. And when somebody walks by and sneers or puts up a finger or something, she will run outside and start yelling and screaming, hey, he's my president, this is the United States, you don't like it, get out. Well, she's not wrong, by the way. That's exactly right. I mean, listen, people have the right to to voice their opinion, to say what they want, to say who they like, and I, I love that. And you know what, it's interesting because, I feel like the older people get, the more clearly you see things, whether it's about life, politics, whatever it is. And I feel like there's a generation of Americans like your mom who really get it when it comes to my father-in-law. And it's the reason 
they really do says love him so much because they get what he has given up, what it has cost him in, in the form of, you know, not just monetary, but friendships that were lost, business deals that, of course, would never happen uh, for the Trump organization because he chose to run for president of the United States, never took a salary, but has devoted himself to really making America great again. It's his slogan, but it's what he wants to do. And I think she probably really gets it like a lot of people do. So I love it. Tell her thank you. Yes, I liked the post because I thought it was fantastic. Put more of those up. I think that was amazing. <laughs> well, you made her a whole day because I did show her. Look, Ma, his daughter, Aww. Lara. Yeah, she was so happy. And she's listening right now as we speak up there about two and a half hours north of where we are. I know you know the upstate. Uh, you know the Catskills well, too. And that's where she yeah. is for the summer. Yes. So she, um, she's also aware, which I am, too, what you just talked about, which is your father-in-law now, according to the news reports this morning, is about $40 million in for his uh, legal defense fund. About $40 million in. That's a lot of money. So on one hand, he's out there and he's like, you know what? Do what you got to do. We know what this is. This is election interference. This is a DOJ uh, acting crazy. You're not going to stop me. I'm going to win. But $40 million is a lot of money. I mean, at some point, does he get somewhat discouraged just by the financiality of this aspect? Well, I mean, I think the good news is it's Donald Trump, right? I mean, the, you have to really step back, Sid, I think, for a minute and, and think about Anyone else would not be able to fight the fight quite like he is because they don't have the ability to to take it financially. You know, he's very lucky that people have donated in an incredible way to his campaign. They've donated to this legal defense fund, obviously. And unfortunately, he probably will need more money. But think about any other, quote unquote, politician finding him or herself in a position like this where they they really are being attacked by their political opponent, and they don't have the means to fight back. They just would say, well, that's it. i got to close up shop and end things. And I think the truth is, when it comes to Donald Trump, think about what he exposed in so many ways. His first term in office when he ran for president in 2016, when he won while he was president for four years. And honestly, since then, I think the deep state, the swamp, whatever you want to call these people, are acutely aware of what is at stake for them. If Donald Trump becomes president again, they have a problem on their hands, though, because, you know what, Sid, I don't think he ever will quit. I don't think he cares how much it costs him. I mean, his net worth has decreased significantly since he decided to run for president, and he doesn't care. He's willing to fight this fight because he knows it's bigger than him. He knows it's about the future of this country. But, I mean, you really have to think about it. Would anyone else? still be soldiering on other than Donald J. Trump? And I think the answer is probably no. Not only still running, not only soldering this huge financial pressure, but now has built a 37-point lead over DeSantis, who came out this weekend. He said, oh, Donald Trump's name-calling is juvenile. He said his strategy is wrong. He had some bad policies. He endorsed some bad people. So I guess he just realized, DeSantis, that he has no chance of winning. So he's starting to fight back. I think you'd agree, Lara. A little late. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a little late. But, you know, here's the thing about Ron DeSantis. I do think that during COVID, he was a great governor in the state of Florida. I've never said anything different. Um, I, and I think people in Florida wanted to keep him as our governor. I think a lot of people there were like, wait a minute. Did he run for a second term as governor to utilize us as a stepping stone to the presidency? And that didn't totally sit well with a lot of Floridians, which I, I consider myself, you know, I'm a Florida resident now. 
Um, and so that was a, a little problematic for him from the beginning. But then Ron DeSantis was so, I think, oversold and overhyped. And he really, unfortunately for him, has not lived up to oh. that expectation. Now, you and I talked months ago, Sid, on this very show about Donald Trump and his his bashing DeSantis before DeSantis officially said he was running. We all knew he was going to run. It was top of the headlines. Everybody was all excited about Ron DeSantis jumping in the game. And so my father-in-law came at this from the perspective, I think, of a businessman, because that's what he's done his whole life. And he said, I got to knock out my competition before it even becomes a competition. Now, some people didn't like that. Some people said he shouldn't be name calling anybody, this, that, and the other. But look at what things look like right now. I mean, you can't argue with the fact that Donald Trump sometimes has a strategy you don't appreciate or understand in the moment, but he's always like 10 steps ahead of everything. So whether it was that, whether it was that Ron DeSantis was a little too overblown and hasn't really lived up to it, um, yeah, it's not looking too great for him. And I think it's kind of becoming clear, even to Ron, that Donald Trump will become the Republican nominee. Well, I got to give you credit because I was upset. And I'm like, wait a second, we're on the same team. What is he doing? And you said, Sid, I'm not sure either, but trust me, there's a method to it. You yes. said that, a method to his madness. And he yes. destroyed him. You're right. Before the horse even got out of the gate, the race was over. So I got to give your father-in-law credit. And now DeSantis looks like an awful candidate. But how closely will you and your father-in-law and Eric and everybody be watching Devin Archer's testimony on Capitol Hill today? Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, I think every American should be paying attention to this. And I got to give kudos to Devin Archer because I think he said himself that, you know, he's had a lot of very uh, unnerving things happen to him, that he's felt a little threatened, a, a little discouraged from coming out and speaking the truth. But I believe this guy probably has the key to what has happened really over the past decades with the Biden family, with them leveraging Joe Biden's position in the United States government to enrich their family, selling out the United States. I mean, this is really serious stuff, and it's not just political. It's not just, oh, Joe Biden is a Democrat. He's the opponent, you know, currently that the Republican Party has to run against. I still don't believe Joe Biden will ultimately run as their candidate. But I digress. Well, no, no, no. Don't, don't digress. Pro- don't digress just yet. Before you finish your Devin Archer point, Lara, because, uh, you know, you're not alone in saying that. I still don't think Joe Biden will be. But who's it going to be? No, it's not. I don't think it's Joe Biden. I think there's going to be, whether it's this stuff, this messy stuff with, you know, all the overseas business dealings that, that take him out, whether it's a 25th Amendment situation, I'm not totally sure how I, I, I struggle to believe that the Democrats are going to be able to run Joe Biden. And I, I look, who is it going to be? Kamala is even less popular than Joe. It can't be her. I feel like they're going to have an 11th hour entry. Maybe it's a Gavin Newsom. Heck, maybe it's a Michelle Obama. Who knows? I know they don't want RFK Jr. in there because he's telling a little bit too much truth for the Democrats uh, taste. You know, they don't like that kind of stuff. So it really is a, a big up in the air problem. For the Democrats, I don't believe, though, that it'll be Joe Biden. I just I cannot see a world in which they can run this guy again because they can't hide him in the basement again this <laughs> election cycle. But back to Devin Archer, I really think that this is about what kind of country we are living in. If you have people who can leverage their positions in government, again, to sell out America, to enrich their families, to enrich themselves, ask yourself how at a salary of less than $200,000 a year, in the United States Congress, so many of these people 
have multi-million dollar mansions, homes across America, multiple homes in different locations. They've done something, Sid, to get that money. And I think the reason they were so upset about that Ukraine phone call that they had to impeach Donald Trump over, which we all listened to multiple times and said, what's really the issue here? It's because he then was going to find out some information that was going to be very damaging to not just Joe Biden, but the whole lot of them in that swamp in D.C. They didn't want to be exposed, but I think Devin Archer's testimony is going to be very interesting, to say the least. So do I, but I also thought the same thing with Tony Bobolinsky and these other people. And you know, Lara Trump, that the Democrats, the liberal media, just write it off as a bunch of noise. Who cares? You know, this guy, Devin Archer, was convicted on two felony counts for taking money from the Native Americans. They don't care. So the bigger question is, what's it going to take? It's, it's going to take a check with Joe Biden's name on it. My fear is all this testimony, all this evidence, which is tons and tons, is not going to mean a thing because the overwhelming part of this country will not pay attention till we have something that has Joe Biden's name on it. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. There are a lot of people in denial, a lot of people who, you know, it really is dependent upon where you get your, and I hate to even use the word news, but where you get your news, where you get your information, (laughs) right? right? Because, I mean, most of this stuff is just straight garbage. Um, You know, the people under the age of 25 get most of their information off of social media, like TikTok, my God. (laughs) But that said, you know, it really, you're right. They're going to discount this. They're going to downplay it. They're going to say this is nonsense. This is overhyped by the, the Republicans. Until we do have something... And that something may come in the form of Donald Trump as the 47th president of the United States. The good news is we have the majority in um, the United States House. So at least we are seeing movement on these sort of things. At least there are investigations going on. And we do have a bit uh, a bit more power in this space. But it may take somebody coming in and really, you know, blowing the rails off and just saying, we've got to get down deep. And I don't care what anybody else says. We're not going to stop until we get to the bottom of what happened here. Probably last, another reason we but, don't like Donald Trump. Last question, and we love Donald Trump. Last question, you mentioned as one of the Democrat possibilities, if you're right and Biden doesn't make it, Michelle Obama. Now, everybody I talk to, very anecdotal, it's just me, Sid Rosenberg, but everybody I talk to that thinks your father-in-law is going to win, they all say it with this, oh, he's going to win unless Michelle Obama runs. <laughs> I know you've heard that. You're laughing because you've heard that. You yeah. can't beat the Obamas. What are your thoughts on that? It, I mean, they're they're a tough group. You know, they have a lot of power. I think people, most people, if you ask them who's really calling the shots at, at you know the White House right now, they probably believe that it's Barack Obama, and clearly it's not Joe Biden. Um, you know, Michelle has a very high likability rating on both sides of the aisle. She was a first lady. First ladies don't get really in depth into politics, and so. Usually they come out a little better than a president. And so, you know what, as a woman, could be a first woman thing they run, a minority woman. It's also playing in her favor, I think. It it could be a a tough run for whoever. It might go up against someone like Michelle Obama. The real question is, does she want that? I mean, we know the Obamas have millions and millions of dollars. Do they want to get back in this game or would they rather be on the periphery kind of like they are now, maybe making things happen? That's the real question. I'll tell you what, no matter who it might be um, that's running against who, uh, my father-in-law, who I believe will be the Republican nominee, we will all be out there fighting tooth and nail, putting our blood, sweat, and tears in it one more time. I mean, I can't believe we're doing a third uh, presidential campaign, but here we are. We've always been in this as a family, and we will continue that way. So 
we'll be fighting the good fight. And you can throw in uh, Naomi and Sid Rosenberg as part of the family Aww. putting up the good fight because we love you guys. You especially, Larry. You're my favorite. But I love your father-in-law, <laughs> too. My mom does, too. And as always, a great appearance. Thank you for stopping by. Give our best to your dad. And thank you for liking the Instagram post. Right now, my mother is smiling up in Kanyanga Lake. Thank you. I love it. Always, always. Post them again. I'll like them again. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Lara. The best. Lara Trump, the absolute best. What a great kid. Boy, Eric did great. Donald Trump's daughter-in-law, Lara Trump. A lot more to come, folks. Joe Beningo, Stephen Van Zant, Michael Goodwin, and more. The Monday edition of Sid and Friends in the morning. I'll hold on to you. Hepatitis. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. So much cooler today than last week. It was brutal, man. Going out to Giant Camp this morning. Going to head out with a bunch of guys from WABC, do some interviews with some of the Giants' best players, see my dear friend Pat Hanlon and my wife Danielle, my beautiful wife, my son Gaby, and my daughter Ava are going to meet me out there. A whole family affair. Pete Morgan's going to be there and check out the football Giants, and it's not too hot. But last night, and I mentioned this earlier, coming home from the mountains to see my mom. It was a mess. Traffic uh, usually takes about two and a half hours from my home in Queens to exit 104, Monticello, six miles from my mother's house. But yesterday, when we left about 3.30 in the afternoon, it set about three and a half hours on the wave. So at one point, I forget what, what exit it was. Oh, it was Goshen, Goshen, Florida. Ava had to make it. And so did I. So we got off the exit, and we went to a Burger King, and we went to the bathroom. And then the wave, I guess, is that what it's called? No, what, what do you call it? It's called the Waze. The Waze, yeah, there you go. It told us not to get back on Route 17. And instead, they took us through a route which had us go through all these towns. And I got to tell you, between Goshen, Florida, yes, Florida, New York, Monroe, uh, we were through um, a, a beautiful town. A tuxedo was gorgeous. Uh, also went through, um, what's it called? Not Saugerties, um Slotesburg. I mean, all these towns 
before he got back on Route 17 and eventually got off Exit 15 by Mawa, New Jersey. But some of these towns are gorgeous. You been through these towns, Noam? Oh, they're beautiful. Like, that's a great drive home. Oh, my God. It was so much nicer than just staying on Route 17 to the, uh, you know, to the throughway. Because the quick way is relatively boring. Then you get to the, uh, the throughway before you get to New Jersey. Going through all these towns, it was really lovely. I mean, lovely. It was funny seeing, you know, these, uh, gun stores and Grateful Dead reunion bands and all these things going on and people out and partying at bars and restaurants in places, uh, you thought nobody lived, you know? My kids are like, people live here? I go, yes. It's actually a pretty big area, you know? Yeah, well, you know what happened was during the pandemic when you couldn't go to school here, people moved up there. Gumption, right? right? They, they were buying multi-million dollar homes, I think. The real estate values in those small towns are astronomical now. They weren't that way before the pandemic. Yes. You can't even buy a house in those places now. No, that's true. You're right. And even in my uh, mother's community, there used to be homes on the lake for sale. You can't buy a house on the lake. There's really nothing for sale out by me either in, in uh, Bell Harbor, Rockaway. And you can't buy it anyway because the interest rates are so brutal. Yeah, yeah. What a what a great job by Joe Biden. Oh, the economy is it's humming along, baby. Can't buy a house, can't get a loan, but everybody's doing great. But I guess they are because, like you said, all these people bought homes. How do they do that? How do how do we have no money and we don't? And interest rates are through there and all, but yet people are buying all over the place. Well, you know, the pandemic was that you could work remotely, right? So you had right, all these people right. who were making real, real money in the city and now they could live in Sullivan County and they're making real money. Yeah. If they're living there. Yeah. Um, but you know, a lot of these financial firms said, wait a minute, you can't do that. If you want Sullivan County money, you can stay there. Otherwise you can come back to the city. And that's why some, some of those people have come back. But it's such a, there are places in Sullivan County that are gorgeous. And then you've got like Monticello, for example. And we do spend a little bit of time in Monticello because the bagel store is there, the gym that we go to once again. Thank you, Jeff Pickles. But that town, Monticello, is about as low-down, poor, run-down, and nasty as as the worst towns in America. I mean, it is, it's sad. I used to go there when I was a kid. There was a place called Rourke's. That was a big-time bar. People hung out. There was a place called Scallywags in Monticello. You had the old homestead that was off 107, but now you go into Monticello. No, it is really depressing. And did they put a casino there? No, well, that's in Kayamisha. Oh, okay. That's the old Concord Hotel, and that's doing very, very well. They, it's, it's actually a resorts world, same uh, company as the casino, uh, casino in Aqueduct. And they've got a water park and the Concord Hotel. Look, you had all these beautiful hotels up there when I was a kid. You had the Concord, which I just mentioned, the Stevensville. You had the Kutchers, you had the Browns, which, uh, you know, what's his name owned? Um, what's his name? Uh, Jerry Lewis. He was part of that group. And uh, Grossinger's, you know, Grossinger's, the brothers, uh, the Edis brothers, and uh, Mitchell Edis went on to open up Mohegan's son. And Mitchell's older brother was one of the four guys that was killed in the helicopter crash in New Jersey years ago that worked for Donald Trump. But they were the Grossinger family. Grossinger Hotel. You know all those hotels. Yeah. I, if I remember famously, your mom and dad met at one of those yes, hotels. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. It was the, um, oh, which one was it with a B? Very good job out of you, normally. Your dad played the saxophone? Yes. And, like, who doesn't fall in love with a guy who's playing the saxophone? I mean, that always happens. Oh, yeah. Now, he nailed it the first night. 
Whoa. What's that? Did he really? She told you that? First time. All right. Now, that's crazy. He was the original. What was his name? He died with the E Street Band. Um, Clarence Clemens. Yes, the original Clarence Clemens. At a place called Brickman's. That was the place, Brickman's. Anyway, we got Joe Beningo, Stephen Van Zant, and Michael Goodwin. That is an unbelievable trio about to come your way. One quick look at traffic, 837 on your beautiful sunny Monday morning. Here's my guy, Joe Nolan, just ahead of Mr. Jet. Joe Beningo. Oh, man. Beningo's got to be getting excited. Oh, it's, got, it's getting close. Baby, let's go. Getting close. Let's go. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Great movie, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. One of my all-time favorites, until he started beating up Daryl Hanna. Jackson Brown, somebody's baby. My buddy Ralph Napolitano and in Tony's restaurants on Arthur Avenue goes, you owe Joe Nolan an apology. And I, I said, why, why? He goes, well, Nolan was going to Jets camp last week, and you called him a loser. And I said, well, he is a loser. Yeah, you got that right. He said, wait a second, you're going to Giants camp today. And I am, yes, I'm going to John's. But I'm working, Ralph. I'm interviewing Daniel Jones and, I guess, uh, Paris Campbell. I don't know who else. Oh, the kid, uh, the, the tight end, Waller. I'm, I'm working. He said, but wait a second. Isn't Danielle, Ava, and Gabe coming? And I said, yes, they are. Well, they all can't be working. So now I do have to apologize to Joe Nolan because I'm a loser, too. So where is he? Are you there, Joe. Nolan? Joe. Joe. Are you there? Joe's not there. He's not there? He's doing traffic somewhere, I guess. Right, he does He does have a, uh, a job that he's doing right now. <laughs> Fine. So I am going to Giant Camp today. That brings me to my next guest. You know, we started working together 20 years ago, to be exact. 2003, 20 years ago at WFBA, and he's still there. Everybody says Beningo retired. He did the afternoon show last week. He's filling in for Boomer Esaias and going against me tomorrow and Wednesday, so he really is kind of still there. He's the greatest ever, my dear friend, Joseph Beningo. Good morning, JoJo. Sydney Arthur, what's happening, bro? How are you? Jackson Brown, good song there, by the way. Very good song, yes. You uh, know, he uh, was beating up Daryl Hannah. I know he was going out with her for a long time. I yeah. think he was pretty devastated when she dumped Didn't she dump him? I think she dumped him. Well, right? yeah, you beat her up, she's going to dump you, Joe. Right. <laughs> she was going out with JFK Jr., too, wasn't yes. she? Yes, she a long time. And then I think she was going out with you before you met Danielle, too, That's right? all true, that's all true. Yes, yes, it is true. <laughs> <laughs> That is all true. So I am going to a giant camp today. Okay, good. You, are you going to interview Saquon, too, or what? You know, listen, I go once. I know Saquon. I go once a year. Who don't, see, wait, wait, hold on. Who don't you know? See? I know everybody. So, so, right. For Pat Hanlon, as you know, a dear friend of mine for 25 right. years. So right. I'm really not in sports per se, 
But I still go once a year to Giant training camp, and he's really good to me. He sets me up with a table. He gets right, me right. three or four well, you're interviews. You're a big Giant fan, too. I mean, let's be honest. You're a big Giant fan. I think I'm the, the the one. I know Tiki now does the afternoons at the fan. He's a pretty big Giant fan, I guess. He played for him. Well, he's a, you know he's an all-time Giant. Right. But but in terms of media guys, there was a time when I worked out the fan. You're a Jet fan. Craig's a Jet fan. Evan's a Jet fan. Boomer's a Jet fan. I was like the only Giant fan. Carl Banks right. and Trump would be like, oh, they're sitting Carl Banks. That's all we had. That was it. Yeah. Yeah, well, there was probably, there was a few others there, but you know, maybe not that high, not as high profile. You know what I'm right, saying? Right, right. Well, this year everybody's a Jet fan. Here's Aaron Rodgers calling out Sean Payton yesterday, defending Nathaniel Hackett, getting ready to play for the first time in three days against the Cleveland Browns in Canton. As a Jet fan, you got to be all pumped up this week. Well, first of all, let me start with this. You know, we don't need any fraud Jet fans jumping on the bandwagon. Okay, I mean, I don't need those people. <laughs> Okay, I, and I don't want to hear the this gets me to the gratuitous giant fan, and I'm not. This is not you, but the gratuitous giant fan. Oh, I want to see the Jets do good. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, no, no. And, le, and let me tell you this too: when the Jets play the Giants the week after the Jet bye week, I want to destroy the Giants. You think I want to? I want to kill them. Oh, All right, I mean, are you kidding me? Oh, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want to hear this nonsense. So this makes me crazy. As far as me being pumped up with the, with my team, I'm cautiously optimistic. You know what, Sid? I've been burned too many freaking times. All right? I know better. Okay? They better win. They better win. They got a two-year window to win with Aaron Rodgers in my mind. I got to see the confetti coming down, Sid. You know what I'm saying, bro? No, I hear you. Coming down. Hey, look, you, you got to be happy, though, for what it's worth. I know he's made hundreds of millions of dollars, but $35 million is still a lot of money, a lot of money. And he decided to give that back to the general organization. Yeah. That yeah. had to show you a lot, no? No, hey, look, he, look I love what Rodgers is. Here's the thing with Rodgers. He wants to be here, Sid. He wants to be here. He's embracing the situation. And Rodgers knows this. If I win a Super Bowl with this franchise, oh. I have I have elevated myself into a different stratosphere. Yeah, you're a Hall of Fame quarterback. Yeah, you're an all-time great. Yeah, you won a Super Bowl with the Packers already. But you put yourself on a different level yes. if you win with this franchise. You know, I, I, I compare it to Messier. Messier won five cups with the Edmonton Oilers. But the one he won with the Rangers yep. puts him in a different category. That's a great analogy. That is a, that is, that's why you're the best ever, Joe Beningo. Great analogy. That brings me to a conversation I had on this show just last week with a guy that I befriended many years ago. So of you, number 73, Joe Klecko. And we had a right. great conversation. And, you know, I always say this. I'm also very tied with Namath. But I, I say this to Joe. You're too. tight with everybody, Sid. Yes, I, I mean, am. Let's be, let's be honest. There is nobody that you are not tight with, okay? <laughs> That's true. But I said to Klecko, and I meant it. I said, I believe, and I'm not a Jet fan. You are, so you can argue this. I believe Klecko, not Namath, not Gastineau, is the greatest Jet of all time. Now, he's going in with the Royal Weavers to Hall of Fame on Saturday. Right. That's exciting. Two Jets right. in one day. But Unbelievable. What, but what is this back and forth fighting with Klecko and Revis? That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, come on. Re, you know, Revis has got to understand the greatest defensive player. In all due respect to Durrell, he's one of the greats, one of the great corners, cover corners of all time. He's not Dion, but he's still one of the great cover corners of all time. The greatest Jet defensive player ever is Joe Klecko. No doubt. Case no doubt. closed. Yeah. There, is, there is no discussion about that. Darrell was great. Mark Gastineau was great. By the way, Gastineau should be in the Hall of Fame, too, but that's for another day. 
the best ever was number 73. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. All right, so let's get to the Mets. They uh, they yes. take three out of four from Washington. They're five under. They have no chance of making the playoffs, not because of the games back. There's like eight teams that have to leapfrog. It ain't going to happen. Right. So they trade Robertson. They trade Scherzer. I had Dog on on Friday. It was funny. And Dog said they just traded Robertson. They should trade Scherzer next. And sure enough, the next day they did. Uh, with that said, Justin Verlander, great again yesterday. Really tremendous outside his first couple of starts. Mm-hmm. You keep him or deal him? No, you got to keep Verlander. Look, I, I'm okay. Look, I, w- I wasn't happy with trading Robertson because of what they got back for him. I mean, you got two 18-year-old kids who may never see the light of day with the Mets, okay? Scherzer, I had no issue with Scherzer going. Every time he, in a, every big spot as a Met, he was terrible. And then the comments, you know, going to, going to management, you know, the, the day before they traded him about what the future was, I think sealed his fate. Verlander's a different story. You got to keep Verlander, you know. You can't be punting on next year. You know, Steve Cohen came in and sold us a bill of goods. He wants to win a championship in three to five years. So I got no issue with Scherzer. You got this kid Acuna back. Maybe you really got something with him. If he's anywhere near his brother, he's pretty good. Uh, Verla- if they trade Verlander, Sid, I will be beyond ticked off as a Met fan. You have to keep Verlander here. You have to keep him. Well, Billy Upper keeps saying the Met GM, this is not a fire sale. I mean, it's starting to look like one. You're closer and one of your top two starters. But if right. he stops here, if he stops here, then it's not a fire sale. No. No, I, I this, look. If you want to trade, and I don't even know about this. I mean, if you're going to tell me you're going to trade Tommy Pham for some crummy relief pitcher that stinks, because <laughs> let's be honest, okay? Sir, let's be honest. Eighty-five percent of relief pitchers in Major League Baseball stink. There's probably about fifteen percent that are any good. David Robinson was actually one of them. Yes. There's probably yes. about fifteen percent of relief pitchers in baseball that are any good. So I don't want to trade Tommy Pham for some stiff relief pitcher that's going to stink anyway. You know what I mean? I mean, but if you trade a guy like that, I'm not going to cry about it. But I think we got. I think you got to stop here now. This is it. You, you made the bit, two big moves with Robinson and Scherzer. You stop now. Leave Verlander alone. He's just starting to find himself now. Uh, he wants to be here. Verlander wants to be here too. I'm sure his wife wants to stay here as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. But Verlander, Verlander wants to be here. Now, I don't want to. I don't want to mess around anymore with this team. And by the way, and I'm going to throw this out there too. You know, when are we going to pay Pete Alonso so we don't have to get, you know, have the the agita and the drama that the Yankees had last year with Aaron Judge? Right. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I want Alonso paid now. Okay. Now. I like that idea too. So now with the Mets basically done and and the Yankees, you know, they're treading water, but they're done too. The Yankees aren't any good. But can I say this too? And I'm not a Yankee fan. I I, I hope they don't make the playoffs. You know, I can't stand it. Well, how are they going to make the playoffs? They can't win. But let me just say this. How do you not play Aaron Judge in this game last night? Now, it wouldn't have mattered anyway because, they, you know, Severino gives up like seven runs before he gets it out, okay? But you tell me, how do you not play? The Yankees, every game for them is a big game now. Yes. Every one. Yeah. And they're playing the Orioles. They're playing the team in first place. I think they're going to win the division because they're not the Yankees. But – how, how do they sit judge? How do well, they do that? Well, I don't, he gets three hits tonight before he hits a home run. I know. And every game's the biggest game of the year, so let's sit him tonight. But why do you think they did that? It can't be Aaron Boone's fault. Somebody ought to tell him he can't play. I, I Look, you can't tell me judge didn't want to play. You no, I don't know. You couldn't see him last night? Uh, uh, you couldn't see him? And the Yankees, let's be honest, all these guys, 
Giancarlo. How about Rizzo? He struck out five times last I night. I, I don't. I don't even think Ron Swoboda did that. No. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, I mean, what? Well, I'll ask you the same question I asked Dog on this show on Friday. And that is Cashman. I like Brian. Brian's done a good job. He's right. won a lot of games. But he's you got to go. You're tied with. He's a, you're good friends with him. I, I like I, everybody. I happen to be tied with Cashman. That is true. Yes. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but you got to go back 14 years. The last time the Yankees saw Endo won a World Series. Is it time? I think it is. I think he's been there too long. Look, I think Cashman's done a tremendous job. I think he's been a great GM. He could find a job probably anywhere else in Major League Baseball. I think it's time to go. And I think Boone, too. I think both of them should go. I'm surprised. I'm, look, let's be honest. If George was around, these guys would have been gone a long time ago. Yeah, they would true. have never survived losing that play-in game to the Red Sox a few years ago. I mean, let's, let's be honest. <laughs> That's true. Uh, okay? Yeah. No, so, they'd be I gone. Mean, I, uh, yeah, I think, I, think they, I think they need some new, uh, new blood there with the Yankees, without a doubt. Now, what about the Mets? Do you agree that Showalter will be back? Because he will, but he's starts next year, his third year with the Mets, on the hot seat. Yes, I think that's exactly right. I think he comes back and he starts the year on the hot seat, no question about it. And they, you know, you got to win that. you got you to you be a playoff team next year if you're the Mets. I mean, I, I don't think there's any other way. You have to be, no doubt about it. Now, let's go back to football for one second. I know yes. you saw this, but, you know, talking about the Jets again and Jets and Browns open up the preseason, this Thursday Hall of Fame game. Uh, also, the same exact matchup, first Monday night game ever, Joe Namath and the Jets yes. against the Browns. Seventy, yep, 31-21, they lost. Homer Jones returned. How about your, your guy, Homer Jones? Yes. Browns returned the second half kickoff for a touchdown. Namath threw that killer interception at the end. Billy Andrews ran it in for some linebacker you. you never heard of. Look at you. Billy Andrews runs it in for a touchdown, and that was kind of the beginning of the end of the uh, of the Jets after the Super Bowl. That is correct. So you look at the landscape this year, though, and you know the clash of the AFC is still the defending champion, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas yes. City Chiefs. No question. you got to get, I think they've uh, stepped down a grid. The Jets are better. But still, Josh Allen and Buffalo, a very formidable foe. But the other team, of course, is the Bengals with Burrow. Now, Burrow has to be caught off the field last week. And now they're saying, this is more serious. He may not be ready for the first couple of weeks. Your thoughts on all these injuries during preseason, some of which these guys aren't being touched. Well, look, the worst injuries are always the non-contact ones. You know know that. When you see a non-contact injury, that's generally a, a pretty bad one. Uh, look, this is this is my biggest fear, Sid. You know, somebody getting hurt in preseason, all right? Rodgers does not see, in my mind, Rodgers does not see the field in a preseason game this year. Really? Absolutely not. You don't play him at all? No. Not at all. Oh, I can't and, say and I, I can't. And I'll tell you. And what do you mean? Not one, not one series not against one. the Browns? I don't want to see him in one. Look, oh, come they do on. these. Listen to me. They do these controlled scrimmages, right? They got, they're doing a two-day controlled scrimmage with the Panthers. They're doing a two-day scrimmage with Tampa. He'll, it, that'll be his preseason. That's it? Because if he goes down, it's, that's it. If, if he gets hurt, it's over. That's it. We're, we're screwed again. The Jet, we're, we're hosed again as Jet fans. <laughs> well, you do have Zach Wilson. Yeah, thanks a lot, bro. <laughs> is, is he the backup? I, I, I'm comforted by that, dude. I'm so comfortable. <laughs> is he the backup right now? I guess he is, he right? Is. Of course he is. He's playing. I guess he's playing Thursday night. He's actually playing. Yeah, I guess Who he's else the... could be the backup? They don't have Don Strzok as the backup. Sid. Oh, you know I mean? the best ever. Let me say this. Don yeah. Strzok 
that playoff game against the Chargers. Yeah, one yep, of the greatest. That's right, one of the greatest performances ever. The only guy better than him that day was Kellen Winslow, who caught every yep. pass and blocked the field goal. Yeah, yes, he did. And the Chargers won that game. Yes. And then they went from they went from the heat and humidity in Miami to fifty below the next week in Cincinnati in exactly. the championship game. What shot did they have? Could you imagine <laughs> poor Don Schrock? He was such a good quarterback. He was but, great. But he had a backup, Brian Greasy and Johnny Unitas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you ain't gonna play. You're not gonna be a starter with those Bob two guys. Greasy, not Brian, Bob Greasy. Oh, Bob Greasy, right, excuse yeah. me, right, Brian's yeah. kid. Brian was the well, guy. He didn't back up United. You're thinking of Gary Quazzo. No, no, he was, no, 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 no. He was in Baltimore too. Are you sure about that? I'm 100% positive. All right, check that out. I'm not so sure about that. Go dude. back and take a uh, look, my I'm, friend. I'm, I'm, uh, Gary Quazzo backed up, backed up uh, uh, so, United. So and hold then, on. Course, so, Earl so, Morrell. So Earl Morrell backed up oh, United. Oh, no, so. you're right. I confused Strzok with Earl Morrell. That's what it is, right? right. Dalvin back of quarterback no, no, Earl no, no, Morrell. No. Come on, Earl bro. Morrell come on, you was the guy. Me, bro. Are you kidding me? Right. Are you, come on. Earl Morrell backed up Greasy right. and United. Fact, right, that's right. In fact, and 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 yeah. won a Super Bowl in Baltimore, and then of course you know in 1970, and then of course he was he was the bat you know in that year when uh, Greasy got hurt, the undefeated season in '72. Right, Morrill played most of the regular season that year. Yes, most and, of it. And didn't Morrill start Super Bowl three against the Jets? United came in later. He did. Yes. Yep. There you go. Yep. Uh, yep. Listen, this is a great conversation. This is why the next two days you'll be up against me on WFAN doing mornings, but I love you, you to go. pieces. You're the best, Joe Beningo, and I want to do your podcast again. When does the next one come out? Uh, we'll do one soon. You're going to come out? You want to do another live one? You yes. want to show up? Yes, it was fun. I want to do well, it again. I'll let you know. All, All right, buddy. You know. I love you, Joseph. Thank Jackson you. Jackson Brown, Rafino doing it again. You know what? <laughs> no, Rafino, he's got to play Redneck Friend by Jackson Brown. You got it. Next time you're on Redneck <laughs> Friend. But <laughs> you're the best, Joe. On the way out, some more Jackson Brown for my guy, Joe Beningo. Friends in the morning. For my friends. 77 WABC. Born to Run. Oh, man. I hear that song, Justin. I want to punch you out across the face. I'll take it. I'll gladly take it. You got no chance against me. No. You know what else can kick your ass right about now? Who? 70-plus-year-old Stephen Van Zandt. You got that right. My man lost a lot of weight. He looks, I swear to God, I mean this, he looks so sexy. I mean, I'm a heterosexual, obviously, and I'm married to a beautiful woman, but... Right, obviously. He looks great, Van Zandt. He does, and... 
The E Street Band and Bruce just finished up their European tour, and they killed them. You know why Dalla and Takapina saw them in Italy? I do know that, yeah. yeah. Now they're home. they got a bunch of shows coming up. I think I want to go the end of August here in New Jersey. But uh, either way, it was a tremendously successful tour. And everyone who knows me knows one of my dearest friends, along with Mike Sullivan, happens to be little Stevie from the E Street Band. Also, of course, Silvio Dante from the Sopranos. My friend Stephen Van Zandt. Hey, Sexy, what's going on this morning? <laughs> Good morning, Sid. How you doing? You look great, man. I'm serious. I, You know, I, I don't know how much weight you lost. Maybe you want to talk about it. Maybe you don't. But God bless you. First of all, on a serious note, at your age, it's healthy. I want to keep you around another 20 or 30 years. But you look like a million bucks, Stevie. Yeah, thank you, man. Yeah, I, I lost 100. 100 pounds. 100 yeah. Yeah. Can I, yeah. Ask you, can I ask you how you did that? Yeah, well, you know, if, if very briefly, I mean, I was inspired by our mutual friend, Big Mike, uh, who, uh, you know, has been big several times in his life and, 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 and lost it all. Right. And, uh, and we did it with, uh, with a, a, a crazy character named Dr. G uh, out on Long Island. Uh, who, uh, you know, it's very difficult to get into him now because he has, like, a waiting list of 200 people. <laughs> I'm because, sure. You know, and basically, you know, if you just stop eating, you know, you, you stop eating <laughs> and drinking. <laughs> it's amazing, right? You stop eating, you all of a sudden lose weight. Uh, but on a serious note, when you're out there on stage, and, and Bruce and you guys play for hours and hours, sometimes where you are is really hot, but hours and hours, and I know it's taxing not just on Bruce, he's running all over the stage, but you guys, too. So this last talk, for example, physically, did you feel the difference on stage? Well, yeah, and, I, and that's why I did it. So I, I knew, I knew, you know, you're going to be you're going to be standing just standing up for three hours is, you know, a serious, a serious thing at this point. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, I, and I knew it was going to be that kind of a tour. It was going to be a very, very tough tour. And, and, uh, and I wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, this was one of our best tours ever, you know, because uh, we had been away for seven years. Sid. I don't know if people realize that. Wow. But, uh, yeah, it's a long time. So you don't know, you know, what's going to, you know, you know what what people are expecting. But uh, I wanted to come back with us and, and, and just blow their minds, you know, and and that's what we're doing. I mean, we're uh, – the show is like a hurricane, you know, and, and uh, you know, people are people can't believe, you know, they, 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 they you know, they, they, they're looking at us like we're in, in our 20s. I know, and, uh, you know, and, and that's what I wanted. I wanted I wanted to be back in my uh, 1980s shape, uh, which I got I got to, and uh, and you know it was it was just a matter of of, of making sure that people understand that you know uh, there's a reason why we got a reputation of being you know one of the best bands you know in, in history, and I wanted to make sure that people still you know, felt that way when we came back out, you know? All my friends in Brooklyn, they love you because, you, you know, Silvio Dante and the Sopranos. And and, and listen, I'm just starting out. I, I got some pretty good reviews for my role in Gravesend. I got my movie coming out next Friday about the Gemini Lounge. But I'm nowhere near the acclaimed actor you are between Lillehammer and Sopranos. I mean, you're a really big deal, and you were great in those. But I loved yeah. you way before that when you were little Stevie with the band, you know? And, and, and look, that is a very talented group, whether it's you playing guitar, Nils playing guitar, Bruce, we lost guys like Clarence and Danny, but that's a very talented group. And I know you lead the band right now, Stevie. So with all you've done your whole life, all these amazing accomplishments, is that not as good as it gets? 
Yeah, I got to tell you, Sid, uh, that's exactly how I feel. Uh, you know, that, that's no exaggeration. I mean, this tour was the best tour we have ever done, ever. Okay, I mean, and we're we're still in the middle of it, and uh, I mean, it's as good as our best tours of the past, and, and maybe in some ways better because I think what 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 gets forgotten and maybe gets underrated is, is Bruce's you know writing ability. I yeah. mean, this, this this the most recent record, Letter to You, is as good as it gets. I mean. You know, I'm I'm a pretty good songwriter myself, okay? And, I mean, I look at these songs, I'm like, I can't believe the quality of these things at, at, at this stage of the game, yep. you know? Yep. It, it, it doesn't have to be that good, okay? We, we can get away with a lot less, all right? <laughs> right, you know? yeah, basically. And, I mean, this, this album is as good a, a written, you know, composition as, as anything I've ever, I've ever, I've ever seen that's in my life. That's saying a lot. That's right. You that's know. that's saying a lot. I mean, you could just play Dancing in the Dark for two hours and they'd go nuts. You know what I mean? But, exactly. But, but exactly. I, I heard Bruce when he was on with uh, Stern last year. And uh, Danielle and I sat in the living room. I swear to God, Stevie, and you know Danielle loves you, too. I know you love her, too. And we listened to the whole two-hour piece. And he talked about where he was, and he, you know, he played some Rosalita, but where he was when he wrote this song and that song, talked about going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and realizing, oh, my God, this is pretty big when you're sitting next to Bob Dylan. But when you talk about the, the old-time great writers, and you are a great writer, great writer, you know, you go to Dylan right away maybe. Uh, is it fair? To, do you think, I know you work with him, you love him, that Bruce Springsteen is the greatest lyricist, songwriter of all time? Well, he's up there, he's up there with, with you know, the two other, you know, legends, which, which, which is Bob Dylan and Chuck Berry. Chuck okay? Berry, right. You, know, right. you know, Chuck Berry invented it, okay? He invented storytelling. You know, he brought storytelling and, and lyrics really into pop music in, in, a, in, a, in a whole new, at a, at a whole new level. And then Bob Dylan took it to another level on top of that and, and made social concerns and personal concerns and personal interests. Uh, he, he combined that in, into the pop idiom for the first time, you know? And that's that's why we became an art form. It was because Bob Dylan and and the Beatles and the Stones, you know, they all influenced each other yeah. at that moment in the mid '60s. And suddenly, you know, pop music became more than pop music. It yeah. became the art form of rock, you know. And that was because all of a sudden you were starting to include personal personal experiences, you know. And and so, but Bruce has continued to do that. Right up until into his seventies, which I don't think people realize how incredible it is. Now, <laughs> now Bob Dylan, God bless him, is still is still out there, also, still writing great stuff, still still doing it, also, you know. And the Stones got a new album coming out, and I love that. And Paul McCartney's still writing great stuff. Yep. But Bruce is writing at a level that is, you know, as good as 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 ever. And yeah. and, and this particular album was so personal and so emotional that. Um, I think that is being transferred to the show. I think people are responding emotionally to this particular show like never before. Wow. Because, you know, we've always had a great range of emotions in our, in our live shows, you know, always, you know. Uh, but this time it's a little bit more focused. You know, it, it, it has very much to do with the fact that his, he realized as his friend died that he was the last man standing from his original band, the yeah. Castile. Yep. And that, you know, it caused him to write this record in, in two weeks. You know, we recorded it in four days, you know, so it's all very, very live and spontaneous and translates so well live, mm. of course, you know. But but it, but it also colored the entire show. You know, I mean, it's not 
literally all about that. But, you know, it, it colors all the other songs. You know, all of a sudden, the, the tour became about mortality, and we balanced that with vitality. Okay? Love that. Uh, you know what I mean? You're, yeah, I love yes, that. Yes, yep. yes, it is about something serious. You know, we're all closer to the end than we are to the beginning. But we are not going out quietly, man. We're going out fighting all the way. Well, you know and that the last Thursday, you mentioned the Stones. Last Thursday, Mick Jagger turned 80. Last Thursday, Jagger turned 80. And, uh, you know, the rest of those guys, you know, Jimmy Page is like 78. And so, yeah, they may be getting up there in age. Dylan, too, in his 70s, Bruce, 73. But uh, it doesn't seem to matter. And you mentioned the Stones, Stephen Van Zandt. This is a big deal. Now, you guys have gone past the Stones and you too. You guys, at this point, you can make the legitimate argument based on a whole bunch of criteria that Bruce Springsteen and your band, Stevie, the E Street Band, is the greatest of all time. But, but, can you sell more than Taylor Swift? <laughs> yeah, you don't want to compete with her. <laughs> How great would it be if Taylor Swift came on stage at the next uh, concert in Jersey and did Dancing in the Dark? He replaced Courtney Cox with Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> that works. That'll work. That'll be great. No, but seriously, you guys just heard uh, that news about the Stones and you two. That really does, Stevie, put you guys on a level all by yourselves. Yeah, the promoters are all, that's what the promoters are all saying now. You know, we, we sold out uh, uh, 30 stadiums over there, and every single promoter said we could have done two or three more. So, uh, you know, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a remarkable place to be at this stage of, of the game. Like I said, uh, and, and, and uh, you know, I couldn't be more proud uh, of, of what we've accomplished. And, you know, it, it's nice to see that, you know, 40, 45 years of hard work, is actually paying off, you know. It really is, and uh, and the audiences are, have just been re- remarkable. They, they, you know, they just they keep coming and coming, and the the comments and the reviews. We've we've never gotten reviews like this. Wow. I mean, the the English newspapers they don't like anybody. Okay, I mean they they you know they just they never give anybody a good review. Right. Uh, and I mean, it's been nothing but great reviews. You know, every single country. It's been, it's been remarkable well, to witness. Well, well, then let me ask you this, if, if, if not being all true, I know that you guys had said this is it. This is our last European tour. But being that it went so well, and it did, and all these people loved it, including some of the biggest detractors, may this not be the last European tour? Well, well, we, we, never, we never said it was the last tour. I mean, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think anybody uh, ever said that. We, we never uh, – we didn't promote it that way. I mean, I, I know a lot of people – are promoting their tours that way, you know, in order to sell tickets. But we never did. We we never said that. Uh, So um, I uh, I, I fully expect to come back. Uh, You know, we'll see. We're going to talk, you know, and, 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 you know, and I think we'll – at some point there'll be a, there'll be a, uh, be an announcement one way or the other. But but I'm sure that this is not our last tour. We're just, you know – Bruce is Bruce stays in great shape. He he never gets out of shape, you know. Yeah. And uh, and the rest of us, you know, have kind of you know made sure we we kept up with him. And, and so at this point, 
you know, I mean, I'm in the best shape of my life. This is, no, you this are. Year. You look. You know, literally, a 40 You look years. amazing. No, you look amazing. So I want to ask, on the way out, I want to ask you this. Uh, I've been a fan of yours, and I think I went, I don't know, seven straight nights, eight straight nights. Born in the USA, tour in the 80s. I've seen you guys in concert 30 times. I watched Bruce when he left you guys go do a couple of shows. Um, but, you know, it's me, it's Chris Christie, it's Mad Dog Russo. It's all of us guys, like, in our 50s, close to 60. When you go out on the road now, Stevie, and you're in these other countries or even cities across America, are there younger people, kind of like the Sopranos, right? The show's been over for 20 years. Now there's a whole new generation of kids that are watching you as Silvio Dante. Are you getting that with the band? Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, we just did, we just did you know, uh, the, the six weeks we just did in Europe, um, you're looking at, you know, we, we got little kids sitting on their on their parents, you know, on, on their father's oh, I children, love that. You know? Yeah. And I, I, but I mean seven, eight, nine years old. Okay, I mean, um, uh, the last show there must have been five or six of these kids on the shoulders of the fathers, awesome. singing every single word. No kidding. Okay. Yeah. I mean, seven, eight, nine years old. Okay, <laughs> so great. you figure we got single digits, we got people in their twenties, we got people in their forties, we got people in their sixties, and we got people in their eighties. Okay, we got five generations at this point. Wow. Okay, five. Jeez. I mean, you know. It was so funny because at the end of the night, a lady, she must have been 85, she got on somebody's shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is great. Like the old Woodstock days, right? Yeah, hanging yeah. out in Central Park, taking the shirts off. Um, so when you're on stage in the next 60 seconds and you look out at this huge audience, I don't even know, can you see these people? But you can clearly see the little kids on their shoulders. But do you even look at the people out there? Are you so concentrating on Thunder Road or Born to Run or the new album, you don't even notice it? No, 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 no. You can see, especially in Europe, because they, they you know, they participate in a way that's different. They, you know, they, they you know, lots of uh, hand motions, you know, like, like, a, like, a, like a football game. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, they, they treat, they treat rock, rock shows like football games. So you can see the hand motions. I mean, the last show we just did in Monza, Italy, um, I think it was like 72,000. <laughs> and and you could see all the way to the back, the hand motions uh, coming up on almost every single song. And, and you know, we don't play a song. Uh, uh, the, the, the other remarkable thing is our show is not full of hits, okay? We, 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 I don't think we played a hit song until the encore. Right. You know what I mean? Right, right, so right. The first, 20, the first 20 songs you're getting are kind of obscure in their own kind of way, and, and, and yet people are responding as if they were hit. I don't care. Right. I think the remarkable achievement yeah. well, of, all, of being around for 40 of years, coming back and coming back and coming back, and, and those songs become live hits. You know, they may yeah. not have been radio hits, you know, but they become live hits. And that's a, I think that's another remarkable achievement that people take for yes. granted. Especially with you guys, and uh, real Bruce fans love it all. i got to let you run, but uh, if we come in August... You got to do me one favor. Gabriel, yeah. my 14-year-old son, he's 14. He's one of those little kids that loves you. He likes the song Secret Garden. So we show up one uh, night, can you play it? <laughs> uh, uh, maybe. Maybe. You never know. You never know. We're not really doing a lot of requests this No, week. but who, who actually is in charge yeah. of that? Who, who picks the playlist, you or Bruce, or both of you? Oh, no. It's, it's, no, no. It's Bruce's playlist. And, and, and this time, because of the thematic nature of the tour and the show and the album, 
you know, we'll we, we change a couple of songs in the middle of the show, but basically it's it's like a Broadway show. It's yeah. like, a, you know, yeah. it's, you know, the same kind of show that everybody else does, which right. is the same show, right, right. pretty much. So, so we haven't been taking requests this time, you know, so everybody should, you know, everybody should be aware of that. And, and you know, no reason to bring the signs, you know, uh, this time. You know, just come and, and enjoy the show that we have chosen to give you. You know what I mean? That's all. That's you all. Know? Yeah. And, 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 you know, so, so and what do you mean if you come in August? What was it? What, what, what do you mean if? Well, I, 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 big Mike, big, well, Big Mike said to me, you're all, I'm going backstage with Stevie Bruce. August 29th, I said, you don't understand. I don't care what day it is. As long as those guys are there, I can't wait. Danielle can't wait. So as, no, as, no, as, no. I'm you there. Will be there. You, you oh, I love there. you. Thank you. You will be there with your son, Thank with you. the whole family. Thank you. you will be there. Thank you. And that, we also have to make sure we have, we send a, a shout out to uh, to not only Big Mike but but Jackie Hunter, of course. Oh. You know, my my the man the man that has inspired me. Uh, oh God! Week, you know, these people are inspirations to us, and uh, and we got to say hi to Doctor G also, and then thank him for uh, taking care of us. So. Uh, yeah, but I, I will see you in August, Sid, for sure. All right, baby. Uh, I love you. With Mad Dog and probably Chris Christie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Three of us, me, Dog, and Christy. Uh, listen, I, I'm happy for your success. You look great. You sound great. No one happier for me, uh, for you than me, Stevie. So thank you so much for hopping on today, and I'll see you very soon. I love you, pal. Thank you. Great. I love you too, baby. You're All the right. best. There he is, the great little Stevie, Stevie Van Zandt. My God, I can't wait. I and he looks. I'm telling you, man, he looks amazing. He lost a hundred pounds. That's incredible. Jeez, My God. you know how he did it? NJ diet, <laughs> right? Hey, Arthur Tovitz, wow. Stephen Van Zant. I'm not even sure it's true. Just go with it. Stephen Van Zant lost a hundred pounds because of NJ diet. How about that, Artie? Stop it! I'm not going <laughs> to get me. You're going to get me in trouble. But you know, pig, piggyback pit. But we've had people lose well over 100 pounds no, when NJ died. No, of course. So it absolutely could be no. done. It, it just wasn't him. I know, but it's ironic. Here we are talking about the weight loss, and you're on the phone about to hop on and talk about a very, very busy sports weekend and the trades and baseball and football and all these uh, yeah. injuries, uh, contact, no contact. Those are the worst ones. And also Lionel Messi down in Miami. That was yeah. a big deal. I, I just wanted to piggyback off of your what you were talking about earlier. I think any conversation for greatest songwriters has to include Harry Chapin, Gordon Lightfoot, and Yusuf Islam, the artist formerly known as Pat, Pat Stevens. Stevens. Yeah, I would go with those three, too. I like all three of those guys a lot. So that is a, a very, very fair statement, 100%. So what do you think of uh, Messi? He had a big game down there in Miami. David Beckham made yeah. a big deal about it. What do you think about Messi playing his soccer games in the state of Florida? I'm glad we're talking about that because that was what my son, my my 15 year old Julian, is a huge soccer fan, and he says, "Dad, you got to talk about Messi going down to Miami because he's lighting it up down there." Uh, yeah, I mean, the first game he had was a ridiculous free kick in the in the 92nd or 93rd minute of the game uh, to win the game for Miami, and then the last game he had, uh, he went uh, what do you have two goals and yes. one assist. I mean, he yep. can't, you know, he can't do it anymore in Europe, right? He's past his prime, but here. You know, it's like playing the J, playing with, you know, a professional playing with the JV team. I mean, he's just gonna, he's probably gonna be able to dominate for a few more years and he's the greatest player of all time. I don't think there's any argument about that. And interestingly enough, I have it on very good authority that he bought a house 
Maybe it was your old house for a million dollars in Boca in Boca Raton, uh, and I have it on very good authority that that it's an absolutely amazing, amazing house. And yeah, so he's living. You can come down there and hang out with him now and hang out at Casa D'Angelo. Where do you like to go down there? No, we, we go, go to uh, we go to Mateo's. But I've been to Casa D'Angelo okay. and all those places. But I'm surprised he's living in Boca, not down by like Coral Gables or down in Miami. Although Boca is beautiful, no doubt cool. about it. Yeah. Hey, let me get to cool. the baseball stuff. The Mets traded David Robertson. The Mets traded Max Scherzer. I know the Phillies are holding on with that uh, possibility of a wild card. What'd you think about those uh, two big Met deals this weekend? Well, they have to, they have to unload, right? They want to get, get rid of uh, some of those guys. Uh, you know, they're not going anywhere. So, you know, the contracts are coming up and they need to unload some players, right? That's what they're doing. Yeah, they don't have a choice. I mean, they're done. And yeah. uh, and lastly, what do you think about Joe Burrow's injury? I know you're a big Eagle fan. I'm going to Giant Camp today. I'm a big Giant fan. Joe Burrow's injury with the Cincinnati Bengals. We, I, it's, it's terrible. Like you said, they're trying to do no contact type stuff, and guys are dropping dropping off. Burrows is injured, and Jalen Ramsey for the Dolphins. That's a huge injury. Yes. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Yep. Uh, yeah, and they, they got a lot of uh, uh, Wilson for the Jets. Uh, also an injury, so uh, it seems like they're doing everything they can to protect the players uh, during the season, and then the, in the preseason, they're they're dropping like flies now. Funny you say that. That's why Beningo, who was on me about 40 minutes ago, said he doesn't want to see Aaron Rodgers take one snap, not one, during a preseason game, and the preseason starts this Thursday with his beloved Jets taking on the Cleveland Browns in the Hall of Fame game. Hey, Arthur, thank you so much, buddy. Good to talk to you, man. All right, nice there he is, folks. You. you got it, buddy. Arthur Turovitz, Dr. T, NJ Diet. You will lose a contractual 20 to 40-plus pounds in just 40 days. 855-5NJ-DIET or NJDiet.com. Coming up, always a great column. This is as good as it gets. As good as it gets. The great Michael Goodwin, New York Post, joins me next right here on Sitting Friends in the Morning. WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. End of the World, great song. That was a lot of fun spending 25 minutes with Stephen Van Zandt, Little Stevie, Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band, and Silvio Dante from The Sopranos. They got in front of me the New York Post. There's a column a couple of days ago. Maybe it's today. I don't have the date here in front of me. It reads, Joe Biden walks the path of impeachment with Hunter's sweetheart plea deal in jeopardy. And, of course, you know that Devin Archer is testifying this morning on Capitol Hill, and Devin, like Tony Bobulinski and Eric Schwerin and the rest of those guys, know an awful lot about Hunter Biden, and more importantly, the big guy. Oh, that happens to be Joe Biden. So with that said, here he is, the best columnist in the country, the New York Post, my friend, Michael Goodwin. Mike, good morning, buddy. How are you? 
Good morning, Chid. And that was a wonderful imitation there of the big guy. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, that, well, let's get to your piece for a second because that really was a uh, sweetheart plea deal. And, and let me tell you why that's a big deal for me. It's a big deal for me because, A, it goes to show you that the DOJ is absolutely in the tank for the Bidens. That you start right there. And secondly, it also goes to show you, I guess to a certain extent, that no matter what Devin Archer says today, no matter what, the liberal media and uh, the liberals in general will discount it as a guy with an axe to grind who was convicted of two felonies. Do you agree with both? Um, well, look, I, I think that the wild card in all of this is whether the public now begins to appreciate the depths of depravity in the Biden family and in the DOJ. Um, that's my optimistic view of this, that, uh, for example, with the, when the deal collapsed in the court last week, it was a lead story in the New York Times now on the front page. Now, that has not happened. They have never covered any of this stuff. <coughs> They've done everything they can to protect the Bidens. So here on this big day, they break out. Uh, other media covered it also. So I think that's the sort of thing that when there is proof when it's clear what's going on, then the media really has no choice but to cover it. And that's that's what I think we're on the cusp of seeing with Devin Archer and these uh, and, and this, this testimony as a whole. I believe at some point, just as with Richard Nixon, um, th- there is this kind of building process that eventually seeps through and seeps out of Washington into into the public consciousness everywhere. At first, it's always going to be the insiders, those who care most about politics, those who read the papers every day or watch TV every day, certain TV anyway. They're going to be first. But I think we're beyond that now. I think it's beginning to seep out into the larger public, despite the efforts of the mainstream media and the New York Times and the Washington Post and others to keep it hidden. I mean, they are they are really disinformation complexes. And but sometimes they have no choice. Yeah. And that's what I think is happening here. The choice is being taken away from them because the story is too big and too important and too obvious to ignore. Well, that's a big deal, because if you believe, for example, like I do, that Trump can win. All right, he can win. I don't want to hear he's not electable. That's beyond stupid. I mean, he won the second time he collected 70 million votes. Of course he's electable. The question is, can he win? And uh, you know that the people who love him like me are going to vote for him. People that hate him don't care what Devin Archer says. But there's a healthy amount of people, I believe, that right now are not sure. But they're not aware of what's going on because 99% of the media hides this stuff. So if you're right, if you're right, this is a huge help for somebody like Donald Trump. Sure. Look, and, I, and for the Republicans, don't forget, this is all about winning Congress. I mean, without that victory in the midterms to take the House by this tiny, tiny majority, uh, you don't get the subpoena power. You don't get to control the committee investigations. I mean, this is, you know, the old, old idea that history turns on small hinges. Right. I mean, this is a very narrow majority that is allowing the Republicans to use the subpoena power, to use the committee system, to summon witnesses, to subpoena the banks, 
to get the banking records and and where the the whistleblowers felt comfortable coming forth because they needed to tell somebody who would protect them. Had the Democrats retained the House and the Senate in the last election, we would not have heard of these whistleblowers. We would not know that nine Biden family members got uh, money from the China deal. We wouldn't know about the welter of uh, of uh, LLCs that were spread around and, and that seemed to operate just simply to move money between the Biden families. Um, I, I, none of that would be public knowledge. Uh, I mean, Tony Bobolinsky, yeah. I don't know if the New York Times has ever mentioned his name. No, no, I, you're right. I uh, mean, that's the, that's the kind of yep. thing yep. that you get with it when you get a corrupt media. Yep. And uh, we, we know his name, of course, from your colleague, Miranda Devine, who's done an amazing job on this story. And Tucker Carlson, before they let him go at Fox News, this is Michael Goodwin. But the, one of the reasons why, one of the many reasons why you're at the very top of your game, Michael, is you can discuss what's going on in D.C. with the best of them. But well, you do a lot of great local stuff. So. You know, for example, I used to get mad at you before you and I started talking regularly because <laughs> you kept making excuses for the mayor. And then all of a sudden, me, Sid Rosenberg, I started making excuses for the mayor because I got to know him and I kind of like him and I'm rooting for him. But I have to tell you that even though we've been talking lately via text, me and the mayor, quite a bit actually, you know, I can't, I can't always make excuses and the, the race thing again popped up at some convention on Friday where he talked about the black man not being treated well by the one. And between the race thing and the migrant thing, I'm having a very difficult time lately defending a guy that I really want to call a friend. and I think he is a friend, but I'm having a hard time. Is that fair? Oh, yes. Look, uh, and uh, politics is is a real test for a lot of us in the media business who, you know, are, are lucky to have our opinions uh, expressed. Uh, Eric Adams is a complicated character, but in fairness to him, all politicians are. I mean, all, particularly those in the executive branches, the mayors, the governors, the presidents. I mean, it's, a, it's very difficult. I mean, uh, Rudy Giuliani, whom I thought was perhaps the most important mayor the city had in the 20th century, was incredibly difficult in many ways, even as mayor. I mean, I, I, w- I was in the, for most of those years, the editorial page out of the Daily News. And while we supported, all, you know, most of Giuliani's big, big initiatives, we also sued him twice. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, for, for keeping the media out, for taking away press passes. I mean, all, you know, just for hiding information that he didn't think was going to help him. So I think that complicated relationship is fine. I, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I've criticized Mayor Adams, but yet I don't re- regret voting for him or endorsing him in the election because still, who would you rather have? One of those other Democrats? I mean, that was the only realistic option. You know, the Charles Krauthammer and William Buckley, Krauthammer credited Buckley with this first, which is the advice was vote for the most conservative candidate who can be elected. And that's what I did in the election. I, I, Eric Adams was the most conservative candidate who could be elected. There may have been other more conservative candidates, but they were not going to be elected. And so I wasn't going to work, waste my vote. As it turned out, it was a very close election. And so I think all of us who voted for Eric Adams made a difference. Now, once you elect him, that doesn't mean you have to slavishly support him. 
I think, in fact, it gives you the right to criticize sure. more sure. in some sense because yeah. because he, you you invested in him and now you, and now you want your money's back. You want exactly. your money's worth. Right. It's if called. You, and if you can't get the worth, you're going to want it back. It's called the buyer's remorse. So, sixty seconds to go. <laughs> I uh, I started the show this morning early in the six a.m. hour with Democrat. Councilmember Bob Holden and my friend from Victim Rights in New York, Jennifer Harrison. Turns out that both of them had a very nasty back and forth with the public advocate, Jumani Williams, yesterday. And Williams goes on his IG live show and goes, let me tell you something. Don't listen to Holden. Don't listen to Sid Rosenberg. Don't listen to the Republicans. He didn't say my name. I'm just saying. Uh, because the truth is, New York is the safest big city in the world. New York's the biggest city. Oh, oh, yeah. And he's going on and on about how bail reform hasn't cost one life, not one life. Don't listen. It's all a bunch of lies. I mean, Jamani Williams, he should be pulled out of that job today. Today. Well, thankfully, um, he, he's not a very active uh, player, is he? I mean, he, I, I'm on his, I get his schedules, and they seem to appear about once a month. I'm not, I'm not sure what he does exactly. I mean, we know he lives in the Brooklyn Army terminal, right? He's well, think about, some... think about that. He wants to defund the police, but he lives on an Army base. How does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, you know, safety for me, but not for thee. Right. Uh, I mean, look, this is the political class we have. And it's it, it's a worthy opponent in the sense that they are rock solid stupid about this crime stuff. I mean, they just don't get it. They don't care. They have no compassion for the victims of crime and and all of their, you know, pleadings on behalf of non-whites and the poor who suffers the crime assaults more than the non-whites and the poor nobody i mean it 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 just doesn't make a whit of sense it really doesn't because as you mentioned the black community they suffer the most and 95 percent of the time it's at the hands of the black community hey uh, mike goodwin you're the best thank you for hopping on i miss you a couple of weeks maybe you're vacationing i hope so you deserve it but thank you for coming back on today terrific job Always a pleasure. Thank you, Sid. You too, Michael. Take care. Uh, this is, uh, let me see something. Oh, Paul DiGiacomo. How about that? One's a DEA. This is a great man and a terrific cop. Quote, there is a direct correlation between the uptick in crime and violence and bail reform. Yes, Paul, that is true. Jumani Williams says, you're a liar. Says that. You're a liar. 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. And I give up forever to touch you. Cause I know that you feel me somehow. You're the closest to heaven that I'll ever be And I don't want to go home right now And all I could taste is this moment And all I can breathe is your life And sooner or later it's over I just don't want to Going to be heading out of here in about eight minutes with Eric Salas, Mike Patino, a few other guys. Stu Giants camp. What a show today. Man, I mean, what didn't we cover from baseball trades to NFL to 
an unbelievable music conversation with Stephen Van Zandt. I know Mike and Donna Sullivan loved it. To all the political stuff we did today, Jennifer Harrison, Bob Holden, Curtis Sliwa, Rich Lowry. How great was Larry Trump with that honest, very honest answer about Michelle Obama and Michael Goodwin? In fact, hey, Noam, are you listening? Is Noam in there? Yeah, Noam he's is our, he's our news director. And um, he enjoyed the Larry Trump conversation, but he, like me, took out of that Trump's, Larry Trump's answer when I said, because uh, she seems to think that Biden won't make it. And I said, if Biden doesn't make it, who's running against your father-in-law? She said, well, Gavin Newsom and all the, all the names you've heard before. She said, maybe Michelle Obama. And I stopped her and I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. what do you think about that one? Can you play the cut you have known, Larry Trump being very honest, if, in fact, Michelle Obama ever decided to run play that? Uh, give me one second. All right. I the man needs some here. time. My here God. we go. No, I got it right oh, here. Okay. You know, Michelle has a very high likability rating on both sides of the aisle. She was a first lady. First ladies don't get really in-depth into politics. And so usually they come out a little better than a president. Pretty honest. She went out to say that the Obamas are still a big deal and... You know, she did not come out and say, hey, my father will kill her. She didn't say that. No. In fact, she almost, she almost sounded, I don't want to say nervous because Donald would get mad at her, but she almost sounded nervous. She did sound nervous. I mean, she didn't say my father-in-law is going to win, right. where she said that against Joe Biden. Right. The one thing I think she's got going for her, Sid, is uh, I don't think there's any chance Michelle Obama's running for the I White don't House. Either. I don't either. So any one of those uh, clowns, and they're all clowns, all of them, you know, notice uh, Buttigieg is not mentioned anymore. That was a waste. So whether it's Biden or Kamala Harris or Gavin Newsom, one big clown show. Okay, we'll take a short break. We'll come back and wrap things up. It's been a great Monday. Got a big Tuesday show planned as well. Wrapping things up on a Monday with the Google Dolls and Iris. And I give up forever to Know that you feel me somehow. You're the closest to heaven. 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give it to me now. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. Little ludicrous for you on the way out. Mike Sullivan is still texting me that Van Zant interview was uh, one of the best ones I've ever done. Joseph Abu agrees. So does Howard Stern favorite Marianne from Brooklyn. That's one of the best interviews I've ever done. If you missed it, you can always go back to wabcradio.com and listen to Stephen Van Zant Springsteen back in the states. We're done for today. Justin Ellick, an excellent job as always. Producing, doing sports, and running the board for vacationing Lou Rapino. Kevin, what's his last name, this kid? Kevin Vonk. He's good. Kid's good. I like him. Nice job, Kevin. Noam Layden, always spectacular. I am done for today. Got a big show planned for tomorrow. Heading out to Giants football camp. Curtis is pissed. Oh, man, is Curtis pissed. You're going to find out why he's coming in next for Brian Kilmeade, who's out vacationing until Wednesday. So Curtis is next. And God willing, as Gene would say, we're all back at 6 a.m. tomorrow. So until then, see you out at Giant Camp. From all of us to all of you on this Monday in New York City, peace! your toes, and I want to move from the bed down to the town to the city flow. And I want to... 
make it so good, I don't wanna leave, but I gotta know what's your fancy. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.